I think eventually if you persisted long enough, you would get it. But life makes you pay a big price for some answers. Huge price. And it's time and energy and persistence and a bit of insanity. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I've been working on my health for a long time, really dialing in the diet, the lifestyle, the whole thing. And one of the toughest hurdles for me to get over has been my gut health. Digestion issues, heartburn, constipation. I don't want to get too graphic here, but it's like the missing link for me. Until I found Just Thrive Probiotic, that is. And that's why I'm so happy to share them with you as our sponsor today. These guys make a probiotic that actually works. It's got 100% survivability. It's vegan, non-GMO, soy-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, salt-free, nut-free, gluten-free, crappy-free. It's awesome. It's clinically proven for leaky gut, and they have nine other ongoing human clinical trials. It's a really powerful way to support your immune system and your brain because your brain depends on the health of your gut and the neurotransmitters that your gut produces. So if you want to get rid of that uncomfortable bloating, embarrassing gas, leaky gut, all those issues that so many of us suffer from, you definitely want to get over to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Of course, we've got a hookup for you. If you use the code Luke15, you're going to save 15% off your entire order. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Check it out and have some happy digestion. Today's show is brought to you by Lucy.co. Lucy was founded by Caltech scientists who were former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. So these geniuses spent about three years creating a nicotine gum and lozenge, each with four milligrams of that sweet nicotine. Now, nicotine products like this are great for smoking cessation, whether you're on a long flight or you just happen to bug the hell out of your partner because you smoke too much, or you just don't want to smoke because it's bad for your health. But nicotine is also a great nootropic, and that's what I use it for most of the time. Now, I've used nicotine gum in the past to get off cigarettes, you know, by chewing that nasty stuff from the drugstore full of aspartame and all these chemicals, and more recently used Lucy to actually tone down and eventually quit my Cuban cigar habit. It's another story entirely. But nicotine gum and lozenges really have two uses. One is the nootropic effect for focus, etc. The other to actually quit smoking or to lessen the amount you smoke. These guys make an incredible nicotine gum that comes in wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate flavor. The pomegranate happens to be my favorite. And they also make a cherry ice flavor lozenge, all of them with the four milligrams of nicotine. So these products can be enjoyed anywhere, you know, on a plane, at work, on the go, even in the gym. If you need a mental boost, nicotine's great for that. However, I have to offer this disclaimer. This product does contain nicotine derived from tobacco and nicotine is an addictive chemical. So there you go. I said it. If you want to get your hands on some Lucy gum or a lozenge, go to lucy.co and use the code Luke at checkout to save 20%. That's lucy.co, L-U-C-Y dot C-O. The code is Luke for 20%. 
And here we are back on the gravy train with episode 315, A Spiritual Awakening with the David Hawkins Map of Consciousness featuring Clayton Stedman. Clayton is the co-founder of FLFE or Focused Life Force Energy and like me is an avid student of the work of Dr. David R. Hawkins and he also happens to be a master kinesiologist. Clayton's also become a friend and someone whose commitment to truth and spiritual advancement is truly inspiring. In this episode, we focus on the map of consciousness as created by Dr. David Hawkins and the spiritual power or lack thereof of various beliefs, teachings, people, places, and things. To give you some context, and you're going to hear more about this in the conversation, on a logarithmic scale of 1 to 1,000 in the human realm, 1,000 is the highest level, which has been achieved by only a few masters like Jesus and the Buddha. The critical level on this scale is the number 200, which is the level of integrity. So if a person, teaching, book, music, film, or even a place falls below 200 on the scale, it's best avoided. The level of consciousness or degree of truth of anything can be determined using muscle testing or kinesiology, which to me is perhaps the single most important discovery of all time. No joke. In fact, it's so important that many people can't even imagine that it's true. So today's show is dedicated to this incredible discovery and why it's more relevant than ever. Also, I want to let you know that next week's episode, number 316, will feature Clayton and his business partner, Jeffrey, and that will be a deep dive exploration into their amazing technology known as FLFE, or Focused Life Force Energy. It's an energy-based system that mitigates EMF and raises the consciousness of any location, such as your home or office. Now, I've had this service on in my home, even on the business, Luke Story Inc., and my cell phone for a couple months, and it is truly astonishing. In fact, the house that I'm renting in Sedona right now where I'm recording has the service turned on. And at this point, I wouldn't stay anywhere for any extended period of time without turning on the FLFE service on that location. That's how awesome it is. Now, by the end of this conversation, you're probably going to be curious, so I'm just going to get this out of the way. If you want to check out FLFE, they have a really cool 15-day free trial. You don't even have to put in your credit card or anything. You don't have to cancel it. You just try it out. If you like it, you go back in and sign up. It's pretty rad. Uh, If you want to check it out, go to flfe.net slash Luke. That's flfe.net slash Luke. Get your 15-day free trial. I think it's pretty cool and definitely worth checking out. See if you can feel the difference and report back to me afterward. Okay, let's get into what we talk about in this conversation. What first drew Clayton to the work of Dr. David Hawkins, his experience being in David Hawkins' presence, the map or scale of consciousness, and why it's one of the most useful tools for spiritually oriented people. Clayton's harrowing journey learning how to do calibrations on his own using muscle testing. Why so many people have difficulty learning this modality. The downside of someone knowing their own level of consciousness testing the validity or usefulness of supplements or various biohacks or health practices. Then we talk about testing the various EMF protection devices like Shungite and all of the different technologies that I promote and have in my home. By the way, Clayton tested the various EMF devices that I promote and feature in my store, and all but one of them passed as legit. So I, of course, removed that one from the site. When it's all said and done, I think that the FLFE service is probably the best EMF protection currently available, although I still use all of the other devices in my home and when I travel just because, why not? We also talk about the level of consciousness in the 10 different areas of one's life as he used in his coaching practice. Then Clayton shares some consciousness calibrations, 
for tons of interesting things like current events, politics, world leaders, spiritual teachers, teachings, cities, states, countries, and many other interesting and relevant facts about the current state of humanity. It's pretty wild. So make sure you stay until the end as it gets really interesting when Clayton starts to share some of the levels that he's calibrated. All right, so here we go with one of my all-time favorite episodes with Clayton Stedman. Enjoy the show and remember to share it with a friend. Clayton Stedman, welcome to the Lifestylist Podcast, man. Good to see you. See you, Luke. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I am so excited for this conversation. You know, we had our preliminary call the other day, which was a blast. And oftentimes when I do a preliminary call with someone as a little warm up, uh, we end up having such a great time that I think, man, that could have just been the podcast. So I'm glad we got to get to know one another and not start here cold today. Um, I think what I'd like to start with is just because a lot of the conversation today is going to be about the map of consciousness, the work of David R. Hawkins, how you've continued that work and applied it. So maybe we'll just start at the beginning. How did you first find the work of Dr. David R. Hawkins? Well, back in uh, 1995, I got into this uh, emerging profession called coaching. And previous to that, I'd spent uh, 11 years being very active in Eastern-based philosophy. So I, when I got into coaching, I, I started, um, I specialized in business as a spiritual path. And in 2004, you know, I had a, a pretty substantial practice. And I had five different clients tell me about the Dr. David Hawkins guy. So, you know, universe tells you once. Maybe you miss it twice. Maybe you miss it. You know, after three times, you start to pay attention. After the fifth person, it's like, okay, I got to read this book. So I went and got uh, Power versus Force. And I read the book and it was like, wow, I see why people recommended it. And uh, remember the first time I read it, I thought, if this is true, this changes everything. You know, if people can figure out how to measure truth like this, it just will change the world. So that was how I got introduced to Dr. David Hawkins through, you know, friends and clients. They just kept, you know, you know how books go around and people talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Sim- it was a similar story with me. I think there were uh, a few people that I knew personally, but then there were also other teachers like Wayne Dyer and people like that, mm-hmm. that I was listening to at the time. And that book just seemed to drop in over and over again. And when I first read it, and I haven't read it in a long time because I went on to study a lot of his other work as you have, but uh, it was a bit dry. It was kind of hard for me to dig into. But when he started making correlations between different spiritual practices and he gave so much emphasis to the 12 steps as a teacher, mm-hmm. really got my attention because my subjective experience had been by just applying a few very simple spiritual principles in my life, it had been completely transformed beyond whatever I could do myself. And I always found that to be such a mysterious curiosity. And then he really unpacked how it works, you know? And so that locked me in. And once I I made that connection, it was just like, okay. And then I just became obsessed. I mean, I listened to I don't know, hundreds of hours of audio and watched all the videos, went to see him speak in Sedona and it's just, I mean, any chance I could get, I would be absorbing his content. And uh, so I think that's why I was drawn to the work you're doing with 
FLFE and, and the, you know, interested in what we're going to talk about today with your coaching experience in the past and all of that. I want to ask you, what was it like? Is like you, you were able to go see Dr. Hawkins in person. What was it like to be in a room with him while he was teaching and to go up on stage and get to look him in the eyes? Was there a, a felt kind of shock depot happening there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was, uh, I remember I was standing in the audience in LA and I'd got there like, I was the, f- I think I was the fourth person in line. I got there like three hours before the seminar opened. So I went to get in the front row. And I was there with some people you've also interviewed who are friends of mine, Wade and uh, Wade and Matt from uh, Bioptimizers, and and Katrine was there, some other friends, uh, and Claude. And so when the opportunity came up for questions, Wade and I got right in line. Now Wade is the five-time all-natural Canadian bodybuilding champion of Canada. I think it's five times. Gosh, it's at least three. Anyway, he's very fit. So I'm standing behind Wade in line and we're like, there's hundreds of people. We got maybe halfway into the line. Other people knew about the question, the Q and a, we didn't, it was our first time. So I'm standing behind Wade and I'm like, it's everything I can do just to stand up, you know? And I couldn't figure out what it was. And I, I Wade's in front of me. So I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, Wade, is it me, man? Is there some kind of energy coming off the stage? That's just like, so strong we can hardly keep ourselves standing. And the way he turned around, he kind of had this like bewildered look on his face. And I think he said something like, I feel like I'm standing in a solar windstorm of light, you know, penetrating my body. At, you know, the way he talks like that, right? Yeah. It was like, I was like, thank God it's not me. But the energy coming off Dr. Hawkins at that time was just extraordinary. Um, so it was like standing in like, I don't know if you've ever been in a windstorm and the, in a, in a sandstorm and the wind is just like, you know, it's hitting you and getting in your eyes and it's getting in everything. And it's, you know, it starts to actually hurt at some, uh, velocity of wind. It, it felt like that. It was a solar windstorm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, you know, as I was telling you the other day, I'll just recount the story. But when the two times when I went to see him speak, one was in, uh, one was in Sedona and then one, I think his last talk, I think it was in, I don't know, Cottonwood or Prescott, somewhere around, around Sedona. And, uh, the last, the first time I definitely got hit by a couple waves of that presence where, you know, my eyes would well up and it's just an experience. I don't even, it's ineffable really. It's just, there's an energy running through your body. And the second time, which ended up being his last public talk, he and his, wife and partner and a test subject, Susan were on stage and the whole talk was about love. And, um, that time in my life, just relationships and things like that. And around love as, uh, activated and demonstrated through a romantic relationship was challenging. And, um, I was there with a buddy of mine and I just cried the whole time. You know, it was such an incredible experience, not only to feel the energy that he had been gifted with or cultivated, but also the interaction between he and Susan and just the immense, unconditional, deep love that they had built together. And it was just being in the energy field of that and witnessing that as such a healthy, high vibrational relationship 
at least, you know, <laughs> you never know what goes on behind the scenes, but, you know, by all accounts sitting there, it was palpable and uh, it really left an impression on me. And there was a, a real pivot in my life at that time, especially in that area of having C like, ah, that's the target. I have no idea how to get there, literally clueless. But it was, um, there was an imprint made and there, there have been a few other experiences like that with great teachers as well. And so I feel very fortunate to have, you know, had those couple live experiences where I was able to really sense what a high vibrational field feels like. Uh, for those people that are lesser familiar with the work or not at all familiar, can you give us a little summary of who David Hawkins was and, you know, some of his basic teachings, and then we'll jump into the map of consciousness and how you've taken that further and applied it? Sure. So Dr. David Hawkins was a, uh, a psychologist in a very large practice in New York City. I think it was the largest in the States at the time. Um, and at one point, he uh, discovered um, that kinesiology was a non-local phenomena. So that means that use of kinesiology is quite common in nutrition. Well, it was quite common in the fields of nutrition. I think it was Dr. George Goodhart that originated uh, that, that work. He was one of the pioneers. And it's also used extensively now in chiropractic. I don't know what, what it was uh, back then in terms of the chiropractic background. So it's basically muscle testing. It's based upon the principle that your body is connected to divinity at all times. And that if you form the proper inquiries, you can bypass the mind's filter and go straight and connect straight to divinity in such a way that your body will respond positively to truth and negatively to falsehood. So the non-local phenomena part was that you should be able to test me from LA. I'm up in Nelson, British Columbia, Canada. You can test me just as well as you can test a supplement right in front of you. That was the leap that he made in his work. Um, and from there, he um, started doing, uh, I think it took him a few years to just absorb that realization. And then from there, he went into doing research with uh, kinesiology with different groups of people. And his first book, which most of us don't talk much about, is the qualitative and quantitative analysis, the, uh, the scientific kind of approach to kinesiology. Then he came out with Power versus Force and many, many other subsequent books. I think he wrote, published nine when he was alive and two after he passed. Actually, nine plus the qualitative and quantitative analysis. So muscle testing, uh, he created a scale from one to infinity. The human realm is one to a thousand. Uh, the angelic realm is 500 up. Archangels are 50,000 and up. Um, the scale is logarithmic, which is really important. So 202 is, you know, is 10 times less powerful than two and then 203 on the scale. Um, on the scale, um, 20 is shame, 50 is grief, 100 is fear, 150 is anger, uh, 180, 190 is pride, 200 is courage, 300 is willingness, 400 is reason, 500 is love, 600 is peace, 700 is the beginning of enlightenment, 1,000 is the highest 
level of consciousness that a human being can uh, sustain. There is a certain number of microwatts of electricity associated with each level of consciousness, and that calculation can be found in the back of power versus force, just around the consciousness compensation chart. So there's a few more delineations in terms of the numbers, but that's... Is there anything else you think I should add, Luke? Is that... Really good. In fact, I have I have the map in front of me here for those watching. Yeah, you, you can download this. It's the map of consciousness by by David R. Hawkins and uh, those of you watching on Instagram at Luke Story, Facebook at Mister Luke Story. You can see it too. But now it's like, wow, you nailed it. I've tried to explain this to people over the years, and I'm like, yeah, there's the one down at the bottom is the one thing. You know, it gets a little vague. But uh, the thing I found interesting about the scale is how it correlates to different teachings and mm. especially to the teachings of the 12 steps, you know, each of the the steps for those who aren't familiar, they're a, a practice that you apply to your life or even do in a sequential manner in order to pull yourself or allow yourself rather to be pulled out of addictive patterns and whatnot. And all of those 12 step groups are based on that teaching, but they really start uh, at the bottom of the scale because you you hit a bottom with, you know, you overeat, you oversex, you overdrink, you overshop, whatever it is, you overcodependent, and then you come in at the level of shame, you know, which is this really low base level, which is at the bottom, oh, right? And then it goes up to guilt. You start to feel guilty about the way you're living. Then there's um, apathy, where you know it's like, God, did, is my life even worth saving? And then so on, grief, fear, but then comes desire. Right. And then you're pissed off about what your life has become. Then your pride kicks in and you think, God, you know, like I can't live like this. I'm such a loser. And then the critical level of 200 is where courage comes in. Mm. It says, you know what? I'm going to muster up the courage to face what my life has become. And then so on into neutrality, willingness, acceptance, reason, and all of those others. But perhaps you could give people the, uh, the context of the critical level of 200. Mm of consciousness in that under 200 would be more negative emotions and a negative impact on on all life, et cetera, and then moving past 200 into the higher states of love, et cetera. That might be a great way to kind of set up the, the frame. Yeah, it's a really important distinction and explanation of the, the tipping point, if you want to call it, at 200. Without that, it's, it's not a complete understanding of the map. So at some point in, in life, we become positive instead of uh, parasitic, I suppose, is one way to say it. Or, or, or uh, there's a jump between non-integrity and integrity. And on Hawkins' work, that's, uh, that's 200 on the map of consciousness. There are many other maps of consciousness out there. Uh, there's different ones that, that people have been exposed to. The perennial philosophy is quite... Uh, thorough as well and uh, a lot of people know Ken Wilber's work he seems to be a a real proponent of models I think his book The Brief History of Everything has one of the better compilations of models so if people are looking to compare the Hawkins map to other models they can look at that so yeah so so 200 is a major threshold so the the what typically happens when people have a breakthrough in their integrity, if you're below 200 in your overall consciousness or even in a part of your life, and there's many ways to 
kind of look at the different areas of life. You you won't just go from two hundred from one ninety nine to two hundred one. You'll go from one ninety nine to two thirty or two forty. There's usually a big jump because of the tension that comes from making the change of um, into integrity. So that's a very important distinction in the map. And the other big threshold is five hundred, going from reason to love. Now, what Hawkins talks about in one of his hundreds and hundreds of hours of videos is that. There are actually little, I call them base camps. I'm at, you know, I could use the metaphor of getting to a thousand. It's like climbing Mount Everest. So there's different base camps at every 50 points along in the Hawkins map. He doesn't talk about that much, but there's a, there's a little threshold. So if you're calibrating people's level of consciousness in multiple parts of their life, if they have a lot of numbers at 250, 300, 400, that if there's a lot of, a lot of calibrations at a 50 point integer, then they're usually getting ready to make a major jump because they're gathering their resources. And so things kind of get static in a bunch of areas until the energy builds. That's a little more geek, geeky than just the two and 500. Clayton, we can go super hard down the geeky path okay. on this podcast because this is, I mean, hopefully the audience is willing to go with this down. Uh, but, you know, after all, we're the ones sitting here. So let's do what's most fun. Uh, one thing I think is really interesting, and I've never seen anyone do this, is the document you sent me where you did a case study of Hawkins and you calibrated. And we're going to talk about how you you know, figured out how to do these calibrations also, which I found to be exceedingly difficult personally. But you calibrated uh, Dr. Hawkins on this scale, beginning with his birthday in uh, 1927. And he was born at 799 which is extremely high uh is it not the highest you can be born at by the way if we're going to go to geekdom here <laughs> is 800 so the highest a being can come into a human body is 800 and it takes a, a very high vessel a very high person to hold that energy so in his last incarnation as best as i can tell hawkins came in at, at 850 he was at 850 when he left and I think he refers to that in some places. And there's probably plus or minus a point there, Luke. I mean, I'm not saying my my level of accuracy as that is, you know, is that you know succinct. But um, I don't know if he talks about the highest level you can come in at as a as a being. But you know, I've done. We talked about this. I've done seven point two million calibrations now. So you, when you do that many calibrations, you go down lots of rabbit holes. And you get curious about things, right? I mean, you know. <laughs> Dude, how long did it take you to accurately learn how to do the calibrations? Because when I was at the height of my Hawkins obsession, which has been many years, and especially there was a period of about five years where I was just absorbed, as I said, I would try to do the muscle testing and you know, I would see that my intention was pure, that I was unattached from the outcome. I mean, I did all the basic things that he would talk about. And it was really difficult for me, A, to find test subjects that didn't also have an invested uh, will in the outcome. And also just finding people around me that had the patience to be like, hey, stand there and hold this thing in mind. Or even even I would try to do it just in, in the more simple way that you describe often chiropractors or health practitioners do, where you hold a book 
against your solar plexus or a vitamin in your hand or a piece of fruit or whatever it is. I mean, I see people every once in a while at the health food store mm-hmm. going around testing themselves on different foods and supplements. And I just got frustrated, you know, because it's like I couldn't get repeatable um, answers. And I just thought, I don't know, maybe, I, you know, I'm just not cut out for this. I feel like I'm over 200 and I have integrity or at least to the ability to be honest with myself about what my intention for doing this is. I'm quite certain that I did, in fact, but still couldn't nail it. So how did you get to the point, you know, where you became first interested in putting that much effort in and then end up doing these millions of calibrations? Yeah, well, um, when I came across the book, I thought, well, look, this is true. This changes everything. And um, it was 2004 when I first read Power vs. Force. My father had just passed over. It was, and he passed over in February. I think I got the book in June or July. The first thing I did was I talked to two friends of mine. Uh, one was an 89-year-old chiropractor who was still practicing and was considering making a career change into uh, landscaping. Um, he was just that kind of guy. He's an extraordinary man. And another friend was a um, was a scientist. He'd spent 25 years in um, in the in the biology field, so he had an extraordinary sense of procedure, process, and protocol. And my friend, who was the chiropractor, he understood the body really well. Right, and kinesiology is a body based phenomenon. So we talked about the book, and we thought, you know, we had some friends who tried to figure it out, and they couldn't figure it out. So we said, well, let's see what we can do. And we made a commitment to, I think at the time it was at least, we wanted to give it at least six months, one night a week. So the scientist, he um, started organizing the procedure, the process and the protocols. And uh, we got together one night a week. We had a, I had a special little briefcase with envelopes, you know, and we started off with the level of consciousness of the chapters of power versus force. We assumed that they were you know, accurate. And we spent six months driving ourselves crazy. It was just so frustrating. It's like, oh God, I don't think we're ever going to get this to work. Yeah, it was. The, the guy who was most accurate was the scientist because he would say this, because he understood control. So he would say the same thing the same way every time. And the chiropractor and I, we would just change the words once in a while. We thought, oh, you know, one word's not a big deal. So we had some success sometimes. And um, what happened was that around Christmas of 2004, we'd taken a break over the holidays and we didn't know if we were going to continue because it's like, well, how long do you beat your head again so long? You know, it's not working. And I read in uh, the first edition of Power versus Force, it was page 117, paragraph two. And it says, um, you might find it interesting to calibrate the level of consciousness of your inquiries. And when I read that, something went off in my head. It was like, it, it reminded me that the scientist said the same things every time. And he'd wrote down some of his inquiries. So I, but what it really meant to me was that he mentioned that in his book and that, on that page, but he didn't put that in his protocols. So why didn't he put in his protocols that you should write down your inquiries and make sure you say them the same way every time. Now, later on, he talks about that as being important. But what that 
what I assumed from that point was that there was pieces missing in the protocols. And that's why people weren't able to figure it out. And I found that that was true. So I'll give you another example of um, in the beginning of power versus, no, in the beginning of truth versus falsehood, that's the big thick one with all the charts in it. He says he couldn't release the book due to the conditions in the world at the time. Something to that effect. So what that meant to me was that the last protocol that you should, or the last calibration you should, um, you should check is, you know, it is in the highest and best interest of all creation to release this information to the person or the people in the way that I'm holding in mind or that I have written down, right? And that wasn't his protocols. So it's like, okay. So then I assumed that the protocols were incomplete and that's why people couldn't get it to work. Uh, you know, there's a persistence thing as well. So then... I had my coaching practice and I thought, you know, if I can, if I can create an assessment where I can measure people's level of conscious in different parts of their life and then measure the level of appropriateness of different tools to use on those areas, I could really, I could really help people. And so I spent the next five years, I, I read each book 12 times. I did 2.75 million calibrations. And just for- and- listening reading a i mean power versus force is somewhat pared down and then one of the books that came out after he died uh letting go surrender real easy read i mean <laughs> difficult to accept in your life perhaps but easy read but the ones in between i mean one of his books um uh reality versus subjectivity that book took me about 2 2 to 3 years to read because i could only digest a sentence or two at a time in order to, I mean, I could read it like you could read the newspaper, but read it in terms of spiritual study where I could take in the principles and the truth behind it and integrate it as I'm reading it. These books are very dense and his, his way of writing, I think because he's just, you know, a scholar and an intellectual, well, he's a rare, a rare breed of someone who's highly intellectual, highly intelligent, and also deeply spiritual. So mm-hmm. that combination, I think, makes his reading a little bit inaccessible uh, for many. And I'm a decent reader, but to say that you read all, his, all of his books that many times, I mean, that's for anyone that's not read his stuff, I'm just going to give you props. That's a deep level of commitment because it's not, they're not an easy read. Especially, you know, the ones, like I said, in the middle, those big, thick ones. I mean, the... Yeah. I, the I, and I. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, that's... They're, they're dense, man. <laughs> I about that, though. And I have to I have to say, I give my, you know, my um, my dedication of my own a little pat on the back. You know, after really working through that book for a period of time, every once in a while, I'll go back to some of those books and I read those paragraphs that used to be just so mind-blowing to me. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, duh. Because now they've, they've become uh, an interface with which I operate in the world. And so it's, it's no longer a head knowledge, but more so a practical just way of being. And I think that's a really good sign and maybe a recommendation for people, you know, is read a spiritual book, put it on the shelf for a couple of years after you've applied it and go back and see if it becomes much more elementary to you. I think that's a good way to gauge one's progress, you know? Anyway, I totally cut you off. Um, so, oh. 
So you're, you know, you're, you're working for about six months. You've got a few friends, you start integrating these, uh, this model into your coaching and then expand it. Um, perhaps you could explain for people, you know, I'm struggling here a bit in, because I know what we're talking about and you know, what. Mm -hmm. could you maybe just explain a little bit more of the kinesiology part? You know, you mentioned how typically and historically it would be used to test something in the physical presence, like a book, a supplement, et cetera, um, versus Hawkins huge discovery, which was, it could be used as a non-local phenomenon wherein the body is um, you know a meter of sorts or an antenna of sorts that's tapping into consciousness and truth or falsehood can be discerned based on the body's reaction. Could you maybe just kind of create your picture of that from your point of understanding right now? Yeah, um, I guess a couple of things. I I just wanted to say about reading the books. I've read the books and made notes and gone back and swore I didn't read that before. It was my writing and my underlining, so I, I get that phenomena. And I read those books from the point of view of looking for missing protocols. Now, I read them. You know, I learned a lot, but I read them for that reason, because I was specifically trying to reverse engineer the protocols. It took me five years, 2.75 million calibrations. So, I log your calibrations as you were going to get that count? Yeah, well... Um, I'm still averaging about 30,000 a month, which is almost 1,000 a day. We just do a lot of testing in FLFE. And when you're doing kinesiology, so the first protocol is uh, you check your polarity. So if you check your polarity, that's one calibration. You, then you check um, if, if you have permission to make the inquiry. So then you have to have an inquiry already made. So that's another calibration. Um, and then let's say you're checking someone's level of consciousness. Um, you know, this person's level of conscious on average or the pre previous week is above 200, above 300, above 400. Let's say it's above five, 500, you get yes, and you get 600, no. So you split it at 550, you get no. Say they're at, then you go to 525, they get a no. Say they're at, they're at 520. So you just go back and forth. So there's like 10 calibrations there. So it doesn't take long to get a lot of calibrations under your belt. Yeah, I got my business partner in FLFE, Jeff, he's done, I think, 1.2 million calibrations. I pretty well taught him everything. And we do, we do testing every morning. We test all the new people on the free trial at FLFE. Uh, and there's probably like, you know, we spend an hour in the morning. It was probably 150, 200 calibrations we do just making sure everything's working well, check all the little variables. So just to take some of the the mystery out of how you can do that many calibrations. When I got into it and I said, if I can get this to work, I'm going to set my life up. So I have to do this because this is so profound to me. So I, that's why I created these, these assessments because, you know, I would have to make my living doing testings because if you're doing it all the time, you stay sharp, right? You do it every day and you do hundreds a day or, and you, you're, you know, the language and you're in the field. It's like, I've seen you practicing your guitar earlier, right? You know, but practice, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, would you explain the physical procedure of having someone hold their arm up versus the little O-ring that you can do with your own fingers without another person for people that aren't familiar with kinesiology or muscle testing as a modality? 
Sure. Yeah. Didn't want to avoid your question. I just wanted to take some of the. No, that's good. Like how how is it possible? Well, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, it makes sense actually because if you if you consider how many thoughts you have during one day, and if you just turn that thought into an inquiry that you test for, and then you do the test, I mean, it's like you'd be blasting through them in no time, just based on the fact that all you have to do is think a sentence, do something real quick, which you're about to describe, and then that's one. You know what I mean? Or you know, within one inquiry, as you said, there's there's could be multiple. Uh, oh yeah done just to fine tune the validity of the outcome, right? You could spend hours getting the inquiry right and then using that inquiry over and over again for your whole life. You know, um, you could actually do a couple hundred calibrations just shopping for groceries, as you said earlier, just going around and testing the food. You could do a couple hundred just in there. No problem. So most people don't think of it that way. Like, you know, chiropractors, my chiropractor is a kinesiologist. He does kinesiology and he probably does three, 400 a day just with patients, you know, testing the muscle strength, getting it, you know, making an adjustment, testing if it's stronger. Probably does at least that many. So just make it part of your day to day life and those numbers can add up pretty quick. Right. So explain the physical mechanics and then the perhaps non-physical, at least according to your perception or understanding the non-physical realm of where the answers are coming from using the body as a tuning fork of sorts. Sure. So kinesiology, the the technology calibrates at about 600. I think as a research tool, it calibrates around 650. So when you start doing kinesiology, you are starting to deal with a, a technology that calibrates really high and starts to align you to that. So that's, I think that's worth saying. Um, Dr. Hawkins' body of work calibrates at 998. Um, so um, it doesn't mean everything calibrates at 998, but the totality of it does. And so one of the things that we started doing in the study in the first study group was we would put Hawkins on in the background because his field is so strong and we would just have it off. Just to help align us with the field. That was a little tip. That's cool. That, yeah. that explains why I used to uh, I used to put his tapes on and go to sleep, and I would just have them on on uh, on repeat all night long for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you just keep the books around, they radiate at the level of consciousness of the books. They'll fill your home with energy, you know. And uh, and yeah, if you play if you play the the uh, his web his lectures in the background even with the sound sound off that'll radiate positive energy into your house wow yeah it reminded me of something that i was doing and then i whatever i fell out of the habit of it and forgive me for um interrupting again i'm just so excited about this particular topic but when he re- i'm sure you've heard his reading of the 91st psalm oh yeah he reads it <laughs> dude i i used to listen oh to- yeah Stop just over and over again, or when I was going into a meditation, or if I was hitting a really trying time in life, or going through some stress or difficulty in a relationship, work, etc. I just put that on, and it's just like, whoa! It, it almost brings tears to your eyes. It's so powerful, just that simple prayer and the way he reads it, and then even some of the music that he would play at his events. I tracked down that music on Spotify. Oh, the Kyrie, yeah. And and I and I actually jacked his playlist. And when I'm <laughs> not doing workshops now because of the, of the COVID thing, um, which I want to calibrate with you. But uh, 
I would play the Kyrie and and a lot of the songs that he would play in his events. And if it did nothing for the people there, which I'm sure it did, it brought me into the energy field that I was yeah. experienced going to see him speak or just listening to his talks. It was just that oh, that um, visceral whole being memory of that field and was able to bring me into that so that I could be of most service to the people in the workshop. Just really powerful stuff. So the Kyrie's by Robert Gass, in case anybody doesn't know, Calibrates at 700. I have one CD in my Jeep. That's just, that's all I just... Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, other people get kind of tired of it, but it takes me back. You know, I just heard that when I walked into the, you know, the first, uh, well, when I walked in, I probably wasn't playing because I was there really early, but I really associate that song with being with, with being with uh, Doc, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ben Bigelow, this guy has a, I guess his name is Ben Bigelow on YouTube. He has a, a recording of Hawkins doing the ohm. And he's sound. He's mixed it in with a few things. He's, and so I just had that playing sometimes in the background. It just oh yeah, just takes me away. Uh, and then he had the one guy who was kind of his assistant who did that Buddhist chant. Uh, oh yeah, remember uh, that cat who was kind of his his right hand man there for yeah, a while. for a while. God, I can see him. And he would do that Buddhist chant of, and it went on and on forever. And I'm like, how did this learn this prayer? Like, he must have studied for years just to get that one down. Big commitment. Yeah. What is that guy's name? He was Hawkins' funeral, you know, or his his memorial service, whatever it was. And and that guy was there. I was like, oh, that's the guy I've been listening to do that prayer. Yeah, it'll come to us. Um, okay, so so give the you know like someone holds their arm up, someone does the ring with their fingers. Give us the the physical mechanics of the kinesiology. So there's different ways to learn muscle testing, like any new skill. There's lots of there's a there's an applied kinesiology association of the U- United States of America and Canada and other places in the world. So you can go there and learn testing in a certain context, just to give people some places they can go. Um, you can learn it from theta healers. You can learn it uh, from different modalities. So I have a good friend who's a theta healer, and I took her course and got you know certified as a tester and and, and that modality. When I learned uh, when we was when I was working with the scientist, he looked at he he had read the book and he said the best way he thought to learn it was to have a subject, an auditor, and a calibrator. So the calibrator would form the inquiry. They would make the inquiry. They would say it out loud. And the auditor would audit how it was being said. Once we got past having it the same way, uh, this is when we learned the the fastest. So that, because it's very easy to start to express the inquiry. So the inquiry is the declarative statement. It's not a question. And the reason that declarative statements are so are the key is that the universe is actually a positive place. And when you're talking to the universe, if you're talking in a positive declarative statement, you have better access. And that's a, kind of a, one of those things that you usually get into after a couple million calibrations because you're wondering why you're able to do this with an inquiry and not uh, a question. Sorry, with a yeah, with a calibrated statement, which they call an inquiry rather than a question. So you have your calibrators forming the inquiry, the auditors auditing the statement, 
And the subject is the person's arm you push down. So the person would hold their arm down. The calibrator would say, I have permission to make this inquiry, you know, for the highest good level of conscious of this chapter in the book is above 200. Yeah, it's above 500. So um, that's the way we, we studied it. And that was the rigor of the scientist. Um, and then you would switch roles. Right. So everybody gets a chance to practice. Of course, you have to have three person, three people that can test, and not everybody can test. Only about twenty percent of the population could test when power versus force was written back in, uh, I think it was eighty six. He wrote it. Um, actually, no, I can't remember. I'm eighty six was when the world went over two hundred. Uh, world went over two hundred. I'm not sure when he wrote power versus force. I could pull up my copy, but. Um, so we practiced in a triad. And then we would go to blind testing. And blind testing is where the calibrator would hold the inquiry in his mind and not state it out loud. So you wouldn't have the auditing function, but you would have a better control because the subject could not be biased to the stated inquiry. So you eliminate placebo in that method. Yeah, you reduce placebo significantly. I mean, I was with a scientist who was like, you know, 25 years with um, one of the largest chemical companies in the world. So he was ultra rigorous. And uh, he would probably want to talk about placebo control for longer than we would want to hear it. (laughs) But um, yeah, so placebo is a big effect. So that's the way that uh, I learned it or practiced it. And then uh, I do a lot of self-testing and then I do a lot of batch testing. So for self-testing, you can just use your two fingers, you know, you can say, I have permission to make this inquiry. Yes. Well, first of all, you check your polarity, hold a positive image in mind. Um, You can hold Doc Hawkins in mind. You could hold Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, you know, a lot of people hold a saint or something in mind. And you have to test your polarity first. And then you have to have an inquiry that's integrous. And forming the perfect question took me, yeah, that took me about five years as well. Because you have to have all the variables figured out in the protocols to manage your, your own, to manage your own state. And that leads to you to be able to you refine how to make the perfect inquiry. So it's, you know, it's kind of technical. I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but. Um. I think that's a good observation or a good explanation of it. And, and for people listening, I think it's like, I want to impress upon them the, the magnitude of this discovery and why I was so excited to find you after Hawkins passed. It's like, well, okay, that's great. He gave us all these answers to these really important questions that could have a huge impact on our current state as a species, our future, our, our individual spiritual evolution. But then once he was gone, I was like, well, that's all we get. There's no more testing because no one could seem to figure it out. And so what we're talking about here, people is, and and and, and many people have this ability, not just Clayton. Um, he just did the due diligence and put in the time to figure it out. But what we're talking about is to be able to take any question you have about anything in the universe throughout all time and discern whether or not that is true or false. And this is the great folly of 
the human experience is our inability to discern truth from falsehood. This is where all suffering originates, right? And so to me, it was just like, ah, when I couldn't figure out how to do it, it was so frustrating. Not that I tried that hard. I mean, I went on for a few weeks or months kind of trying to cobble together a, you know, a method and I just moved on to other things. But to me, it's like, even just to know someone that has the ability to do this with some degree of accuracy and reliability is such a huge gift. And so, uh, you know, I'm so thankful that you put in that work and then also that you've, which is we're going to do another podcast tomorrow for those listening. Uh, next week's show is going to be based on like the culmination of Clayton's work with his partner, Jeff, uh, in the FLFE, which is, we'll get into a bit here, but it's a whole, we needed two podcasts to cover it all. But this is such an important discovery. Uh, and to the point when I found you, and I apologize in advance and in retrospect, but I was like, you got to calibrate all my EMF tools. Because I don't want to have, you know, a lot of them are not provable in a linear sense because they work energetically. And so I was, by the way, thank you. You know, I sent um, your, your wife a list of, you know, the five or six products I have on my site and said, tell me if these are legit. Because if they're not, I'm going to take them off my site. And I think all but one of them passed the test. And the other one wasn't negative. It just didn't have like, it didn't have a meaningful enough effect to, you know, promote it in my opinion. But I was really excited to hear that my discernment um, had led me to, you know, getting some really solid products to recommend to people. But beyond that, I mean, there are such, such a far reaching influence that this could have on our life. And it's just, uh, it's just incredible. And I hope that more people will follow suit and, you know, discover Hawkins work and the work that you're doing. And, you know, imagine if, if everyone knew someone in their periphery that had the ability to do this, that they could ask questions like, hey, should I, it serves the highest good for me to stay in this relationship. No, uh, the level of consciousness of this potential business partner is over 200. No, done. I mean, you can just like cut your way through the weeds of life with such speed. I just think it would save people so much suffering. I, I want. I don't want to go back to something on that note. So thank you for summarizing kind of the physical practice and how you fine-tuned it and refined it. But going back to the life of Hawkins, you know, I found it so fascinating. As I said, the case study that you did on him, and I just want to refer back to something here that's so interesting. So he was born in a rarefied state at 799. And then I've always wondered about the period in which he became an atheist and a drug addict and an alcoholic and you know how far down he went. And there was a period, it looks like around from uh, 15 years old to 35 or so years old that he did in fact drop down to 400, uh, which is still relatively high in terms of a functioning human. It's hard for me to imagine a practicing alcoholic being above 200 <laughs> because it just necessitates such selfishness and, and um, dishonesty and all the things that come along with the degradation of your character when you're addicted to drugs, typically. Uh, and then he had a near-death experience at 38 years old, his second, where he popped from 450 back up to 850. So there's a couple of curiosities there. But furthermore, what I found to be really interesting was that um, at the end of his life, going to... Uh, 84 years old in 2011 through uh, the rest of 2011 at 999 
5.4, which is, you know, like avatar status. Then in 2012, you know, 85, 86 years old, he dropped down to 600, 540, and then uh, and then 500. And I, I wondered if you did any, and not that that's bad, 500 is still, you're pretty high functioning spiritual being, but as compared to avatar status, uh, you know, it's a bit lower, especially on the logarithmic scale. Have you done any research as to why his level went down near his death? Well, if I did, I can't remember. I've got a lot of banker's boxes full of yellow notepads that I haven't typed up because I used to do a lot of research on yellow notepads and blue pen because I was told that helps you memorize it better. I just assumed it was because he was getting really old and frail. Right, right. Uh, you know, and uh, he had a lot of diseases, which he covers in healing and recovery. And he overcame a tremendous amount of physical ailments. Right. Um, so that was my, I can't remember anything else other than that was my assumption. It's just age. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, from his teachings, I gleaned that one of the purposes of keeping your body healthy and your nervous system strong, and this would definitely be in alignment with my Kundalini yoga practice, which is all about strengthening your nervous system and having a container that's able to withstand the spiritual downloads that you're getting in meditation and whatnot. But he would talk about how the physical body needed to be uh, of a certain strength in order to contain that energy. And one of the things I found interesting uh, was when students would ask about why there weren't more female avatars, mystics, high spiritual teachers on record, or at least ones that he had calibrated. And I remember him testing something to the effect that it had nothing to do with gender. It just had to do with the physical body's capacity to hold energy. And that's why over the great expanse of time, more male bodies had been chosen by creation, God, etc., to be vehicles. It's not about a man or woman thing. It's just about the physical body being able to to handle it. And that would that would definitely align with what you said. As he was old and frail, the spiritual energy that he once was able to carry might have been too strong for his body to be able to handle. Yeah, I mean, I went down the road of looking at the male nervous system and the female nervous system, and I figured that was a no-win solution. So I just let that go. Uh, <laughs> There, there are uh, sure you know. There are certainly some extraordinarily high women on the planet right now. Um, there's a couple in India, Amma Bhagavan. We talked from the Oneness Movement. He was quite ill and was. It looked like he was going to pass, and now he's coming back. But her level of consciousness is. Uh, she's the highest woman on the planet at this time, as far as I know. She's at around eight sixty, eight sixty two. You know, and, and some of those uh, some of those inquiries in that chart, I mean, I wouldn't claim to have accuracy of 999.4, but I'm probably within a few points. What I would do, something like that, is I would do maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 calibrations because I was really interested in his life. And then I would take the mean average of those, those and that's how I would do that, get the 999.4. I don't claim that kind of accuracy. But that's how I would do it as a mean average. Right. Uh, speaking of Amma and Bhagavan in India and you calibrating her is really high. As I was telling you, it must have been 2004. So I went to Oneness University mm -hmm. 
in the golden city in India. And I remember sitting in Darshan with Amma. It was just a day where just she was there. And again, similar to experiences I've had sitting in the presence of other high teachers, uh, I remember sitting there and just having tears of gratitude flowing and just being extremely moved by just being in a room. I'm not breathing in any special way. I'm not necessarily saying prayers or meditating or doing anything that would facilitate a high state of consciousness. It was coming from her, this radiating, loving, matronly energy, and it was palpable and and very real. So it's 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 cool to hear that you, in fact, tested her level of consciousness as um, as being very high because that was my experience as well. That's the grace of the guru, Luke. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. This here podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC. They make a product called Cacao Bliss and it is absolutely insane. Now, back in the day, I used to have to take about 50 ingredients to make an elixir or a smoothie, get them from all over the place, mix them together, make a big mess, took up a bunch of space in the cabinet. And uh, this product here, Cacao Bliss, has taken that pain away. Now I have amazing ceremony grade organic raw cacao turmeric, black pepper to maximize the results and the bioavailability of the turmeric. You know how that works. MCT powder, which uh, makes you feel satiated longer. It's a good healthy fat and uh, actually helps you lose weight as ironic as that is. It's got cinnamon, which improves your body's ability to digest glucose and reduce your desire for sugary treats. It's got monk fruit, which satisfies the old sweet tooth just as much as sugar with zero calories and doesn't affect your blood sugar. It's got coconut nectar, which acts as a prebiotic and feeds the healthy gut bacteria in your lower intestine. It's got lacuma, which adds a really delicious hint of caramel-like flavor and has wound healing properties. I've loved lacuma for a long time, as well as mesquite. A lot of people don't know about mesquite, so when I found Cacao Bliss, I was stoked that they included this. It's a sweet and nutty superfood that doesn't cause blood sugar spikes and helps boost your immune system. And they round it out with Himalayan salt, which contains over 84 minerals and trace elements while helping to balance your pH levels. So this is the ultimate superfood elixir, but it really tastes like a chocolate milk. I mean, straight up, it's like tastes like a dessert. So you can make it hot, you can make it cold, mix it with coffee. Sometimes I make like a kind of a cold chocolate milk with it. It's just absolutely fantastic. And you can get yourself some over here at earthechofoods.com slash lukestory. That's earthechofoods.com slash lukestory. The 15% off code is luke15. And while you're at it, check them out on Instagram at earthechofoods. And you can see the product that I'm talking about. It's called Cacao Bliss. It's delicious. It's healthy. Go get some. And now back to the interview. Who are some other teachers or teachings that are contemporary that you found uh, calibrate uh, really high like that? Are there is there, are there any other teachings or modalities you mentioned? You know, theta healing or things like pranic healing or different mm. types of yoga or breath work. Does anything come to mind based on your research as being uh, worthy of pursuit at this given time? Yeah, there's so many. Um, I mean, uh, Amma and Bhagavan, they they were very high. I mean, I, I uh, my partner Sherilyn is 
uh, a pretty big student of theirs and I got trained as a blessing giver as maybe you did at one time I got involved in it because they were the highest couple on the planet you know I've been in a relationship with Sherilyn so I figured there's some things I could learn from that field just like you got from Susan and David um, I'm not saying everything they teach is really high um, it's interesting with Bhagavan when he was doing his teachings in Indian his teachings in Indian would calibrate much much higher than his teachings in English because I think it's his second language. So he didn't have the, linguist, the linguistic distinctions to convey what he was perhaps thinking. Um, so um, uh, Mother Mir is another high one. I haven't uh, studied her, but uh, I was trying to figure out who the top 10 people on the planet were at one point. And you know, my friends and I were putting all these people down. Uh, Ahmed the Hugging Saint is you know, extraordinary. Uh, in fact, you know, if you, you measure someone's level of consciousness and you can measure their level of functioning, which is how active they can be in the world, right? So what happened with Hawkins and what happens with everybody that I've ever tested is that you can come in really high and then when you get to four or five years old and the mind kicks in, then everybody that I've ever tested, including Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, you know, all the ones that have reached a thousand, and I think Hawkins was there for probably six months. I'm trying to remember the exact number of months. They all go down below 500. They go into the high 400s at about four or five years old, and then they start, they have to transcend the mind. So many of them, they don't do that until their late teens or 20s. Um, oh, that's interesting. So that yeah. explained those dips in there, right? Because you have to integrate the personality and the ego and then kind of overcome that again, even though you have done yes. that numerous incarnations before because you're now embodied again and you have the epigenetics and all of the karmic baggage essentially of your lineage, then now you've got to kind of work your way back out of that as a stepping stone to get to the higher state later in life where you again continue to teach and pass that on. Absolutely. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah the, and I've written out that theory and tested the level of consciousness of it. It's very high. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, Amma the Hugging Saint, man. I went to see her uh, a couple of years ago and woof, boy, I really, it, it, it was not one, a hug that came easy. You know, the whole, <laughs> you're up all night, man. Just, oh, wow. I'm waiting in line. And there's a, you know, there's a, a well-oiled machine that they have, but it, it's mm -hmm. definitely, she was not the most accessible person on the planet, I guess, for good reason. Uh, I'm curious about uh, a few other things and I'm going to throw a few things out and maybe you've tested them, maybe you haven't. Uh, mm -hmm. What about the teacher Ram Das? Did you ever test his level? Right, he just passed. Um, I did, and I, I can't remember. Okay. Yeah, he's another one of my favorites. I think it's as far as you know, picking up the torch with someone else. I've mm -hmm. probably as much as Hawkins. Um, he would be another one of my favorites. Uh, there was something you mentioned that Hawkins would uh put in his protocol and that is to ask permission whether or not the question was uh, valid or allowable you know is this god's mm -hmm. will or does this serve the highest good to even ask this question and i remember in the audience at one time someone asked if he would calibrate john of god the now ah. healer in brazil and he went well we've tried to do it before and we got to know and then he asked, do we have permission to ask this question? And he got a no. And then he mumbled something about blah, blah, blah. We've, you know, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. And it definitely was a, 
not not his normal kind of reaction to yeah. the question. I thought that was weird because at that time, one of my goals was to go there and see if he could fix my back. Because <laughs> I had these back problems. And then now, you never know what's true, but there seems to be uh, mounting evidence that he was up to some pretty nasty stuff. Um, and I, when I found that out, it was like, oh man, that's interesting. I remember Doc not answering that question and then definitely you know, not being very enthusiastic about that particular person in Brazil. Um, so I, I like that part of the model where it's like, we don't just ask whatever we want because it might not be in service of, of our highest good or the people listening to the inquiry and the answer as to whether or not they even get that. So, you know, hopefully the question about John of God was like discouraging enough to other people as it was to me where they're like, I'm just going to leave that one alone until I get further information. A couple of the things I found interesting, and I want to see if you've done any calibration in this area. I think this was in Truth Versus Falsehood, which I would uh, highly recommend to anyone who just wants an encyclopedia of calibrations of mm -hmm. so many books, movies, countries, uh, philosophies, uh, political systems, etc. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. But, and, and people ask this question too, um, are UFOs real? And Hawkins got a no. And that was one I always had a problem with. And I think, you know, it's that I want to believe that they're real, A. And also, I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't other forms of life in an infinite, ever-expanding universe. But I think that was a no because of the way the question was asked. Like, are UFOs are real is a pretty broad statement because that would indicate what people typically think to be 1950s sci-fi version of UFOs versus multi-dimensional, you know, shape-shifting, intergalactic, interdimensional craft, entities, beings, etc. Have you done any calibrations of your own that are worth sharing around the idea of consciousness or beings that are not of this earth that come here or have been here? There's not a lot of research on that. In FLFE, when we're writing these requests to divinity that we put in the high consciousness field, the level of consciousness of the programs have to be at 999 or higher for them to, for the, for us to be kind of clear of any karmic consequences, so to speak. That's what we determined. And so sometimes we have to rewrite the definition of a word because it doesn't calibrate high enough to have the program be at that level. So we have a whole glossary of terms, pages and pages and pages of words that we have to reference in a contextual definition for the request to the divinity we're making. So the default definitions that we use in writing our programs and the default definitions that we use as a society and the stated default of definitions that I use in the inquiries, unless I state otherwise, is the Oxford Dictionary. Calibrates above 460. So if you are going to, I mean, in an ideal world, what I would have liked, and probably what a lot of people would have liked uh, Doc to do, is to state the inquiries that he used to, to make, uh, that he made, 
or to make the conclusions he made and to transparently reveal that the unconscious default to his definitions would be the Oxford Dictionary. So the Webster Dictionary calibrates around 350. So it's a very different, you know, level of consciousness. So I don't know what definition he was using. And I think in other of his teachings, he talked about, you know, the universe is such a big place and to think we're the only intelligent species out there, you know, is really kind of arrogant on our part. And so it's a bit of a paradox. And that's one of the few paradoxes. There's one of those, actually, there's only one calibration of his, one statement of his. It was around the social influence of people. And I've just never figured out how to make that inquiry about social influence. Um, it may seem obvious to somebody else. But, you know, it's not that I don't have permission to make it. I just haven't figured it out. So, yeah, for UFOs and other beings from other star systems even, not just our solar system, even the galaxy we live in, my research indicates that there's definitely that these that some of these beings are real. There's a lot of um, misinformation in the UFO community. And I think Doc at one point calibrated abduction experiences at 70. And there are other abduction, individual abduction experiences that seem to calibrate very integrously. But I happen to agree that, you know, to look out into the night sky and look at all the stars out there and think we're the only intelligent species that we're the most advanced and that other species have, look how far we've come in our lifetime Luke with cell phones you know imagine we're going to be in 100 years you know I mean another 10 years so I think that's just self-evident you know yeah there, there's a lot of talk about the um the honeycomb earth theory that there's enormous caves in the earth that there's other species that perhaps moved into those areas during, um, you know, enormous volcanic events or asteroid events where literally if you didn't find another place to live, you know, you wouldn't survive very long on the surface. So some of those theories test as integrous as well. Wow. Wow. That's wild. So that's, that's one I've always, I'm, I'm pretty open-minded and mm -hmm. I'm willing to consider anything's possible. Um, I think Anyone that's done ayahuasca would probably have that point of view. You know, experiences mm -hmm. like that, you just go, oh, yeah, I don't know shit, basically. You know, there's so much more interdimensionally than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. And to perceive your reality with the limitations of our senses is really kind of immature, I, I think. You know, not to be judgmental, but honestly, there's, there's so much more there. But one that's always kind of, yeah, I'm like, yeah, and that's that there are you know, beings living under Mount Shasta and this kind of stuff, like the the existence of any kind of life forms, sentient life forms that exist, you know, beneath us. I've always been like, oh, that's pushing a little far. But then again, I've not been down there. I don't know what's there. Maybe there's a huge pocket of air and they have their own sun underneath there. Who the freak knows in this holographic, weird planetary experience we're in? You know, some people make claims that have gone down there and they test as integrous. Some make claims that don't test as integrous. Um, so I think it's an, you know, it's an interesting phenomenon. I don't have any personal experience of going into caves where there's other, you know, beings living. 
but there's enormous cave systems in the world and just enormous. So you can imagine that if they're that big and we know about them, what don't we know? Right. Right. Uh, there was another uh, paradoxical uh, test that Doc did, and that was, and it used to piss off all of his liberal <laughs> fans. Right. That was he test George Bush Jr. as like, I think it was 400, which is well above 200 level of integrity. And and also, this is the one thing I've always pegged on him is like, I just think he was mistaken. He must not have tested it. And that was that there was some degree of inside job in the 9-11 event. And he used to joke about how stupid people were that think that steel doesn't melt. And his perception of the argument that there was a 9-11 conspiracy in relation to the Twin Towers and Building 7 was that idiots out there think that steel can't melt. And he would say, well, how do you think they make steel beams? They melt it. Where the real point of contention with theorists is that jet fuel scientifically does not burn hot enough to melt steel. And beyond that, he also never addressed the fact that there was never any evidence of a plane at the Pentagon, nor was there any evidence of a plane in Pennsylvania. And so I was always, that always gave me like a bit of skepticism about some of his other theories and calibrations because I'm like, how he's so intelligent and so wise and he calibrates so high. How could he miss such an obvious, like a sloppy crime, you know? Um, and and George Bush Jr. being obviously complicit in that whole lie because he had to have been part of the cover up or at least you know whatever happened. No one really knows what happened except the people that all did it. Uh, but then I looked at it from a deeper perspective, and and this is going to be difficult maybe for some people to hear, but from a very zoomed out point of view, I don't know that that event did, you know, even though it took the life of whatever it was, 4,000 people, and as a result, got us into the Middle East where, you know, tens of thousands of people were murdered for no reason. And the whole thing was just a huge debacle. But I can't say from this vantage point that whoever did that didn't produce an outcome that was the lesser of two evils as compared to an outcome that could have transpired, right? So... Maybe there were things going on in the Middle East with, the, you know, Saudi Arabia taking over and this and that, that, you know, your average person like me has no clue about that could have ended up in a more catastrophic world event where, you know, Europe got involved in Middle Eastern wars and everything just went completely tits up. Um, so for that reason, he might have been purview to a, a more broad perspective. And that was, you know, an area where I really had to kind of open my mind, like, really, George Bush? And I'm not even, you know, politically attached to one side or another at all. But I remember him just getting, you could hear people gasp in the audience when he said George Bush Jr. had integrity, you know, because he was clearly like, to, in my take on it, not an honest person. But perhaps he was being dishonest with the intention of the highest good, according to his perception. So have you looked into world figures that we would perceive generally as being negative energy, but 
their intention. So they might be dishonest or something like that, like Donald Trump, which we can talk about. Maybe they do things that are dishonest or unkind or they lack decorum or they're rude or mean and angry and they're, they're very low vibe, but their intention is higher. Therefore, they don't drop under the critical level of 200 as being, you know, a real nasty person or someone who actually wishes harm on other people. Have you done any kind of political analysis from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, I probably won't get into the exact numbers, but I'll talk about some principles. And yeah, again, 9-11 and a lot of things, I would really like to see Doc's inquiries and what he's using as unconscious assumptions. Like I'm not saying, you know, I mean, first of all, I'm not the best Hawkins student out there. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm a pretty good kinesiologist and I've, I've persisted, but I'm not claiming to be the best Hawkins student. I don't know what went on in his head. He was, uh, he's an extraordinary man. One of the most influential people in my life. I have a lot of respect. And if you're going to go into a, a field of science, which I consider kinesiology to be, then the more transparent you can be with your, the people that you're helping, including putting in the, in the inquiries it's a test if it's in the highest and best interest of all creation to release the information you're, you've tested to the people you're considering releasing it to. That, that's a valid inquiry, and that should be near the end of his protocols, and it's not. So when people say, well, how, you know, how do you know there wasn't protocols that he didn't include? Well, I think it's self-evident. It's in, the, it's in page 117, paragraph 2, to write down your inquiries, and, at the end, and in the first part of truth versus falsehood. And I don't have the you know, chapter and verse of that because I encourage people just to do some work um, and look it up. Um, that's a valid inquiry. And that should be included in the, in the protocols. And when you test the level of appropriateness, so when you get into scales, so the Hawkins map of consciousness calibrates about 840, 840, 850. Another scale that I use a lot is a scale parallel to the Hawkins map of consciousness where 1,000 represents something because of all the logarithmic factors in it. And another scale is um, a percentage scale, which we're all used to in school, right? The percentage scales are tip is typically the lowest consciousness scale because it doesn't use divinity as the ultimate source of truth. So the level of consciousness of the scale is limited by the precepts. So, um, so when you're looking at calibrating somebody, it's it's really it's really interesting. I'm mean, I'm still learning things, and I've done, you know, created like probably a dozen assessments, and I've done 4,500 of the assessments that I sent you, Luke, just to give you a sample of what they look like. So I've done, you know, there's about three to four hundred calibrations in each assessment to, to gather the data. So when George Bush went into George Bush Jr. went into the presidency, he calibrated. 110 points higher when he was the president for 30 days. So the office of the presidency calibrates in the mid high 400s. And so when you have all those professional people around you, guiding you, consulting you, helping you, teaching you, it, if you're not at that level, it will tend to bring you up unless you're very obstinate and don't listen. Um, the reason I think Doc was able to maintain himself in the 400 while he was in office 400s while he was an alcoholic was that the professional standards of the psychology 
uh, accreditation require you to maintain kind of a 400s approach to life. Like in order to be accountant or a lawyer or a psychologist, there's a pretty high bar in the professional standards of things you can and can't do. So maintaining those professional standards in your day-to-day life will tend to keep you in the 400s, even if you're drugging and drinking. Now, there may be part of your life that's very low, uh, which is slightly different than John of God, because I couldn't figure out what was going on with John of God. I, was, I had a severe health issue in 2000 and, uh, 2008. I almost passed, and uh, I was going to go see John of God. And I'd done a lot of testing on him, but I did the testing before I figured out how to test for multiple personalities. Oh, snap. Yeah, snap. So, okay. So one living being could have different calibrations based on entity, possession, multiple personalities, et cetera. Wow. That ex- you, actually. You got to figure out how to test that. If you're going to do like this kind of work professionally, you got to figure out how to test that right on, like right in the beginning and test people before you start going down the road. Because I made that mistake and cost a friend of mine dearly because I recommended he do business with somebody and he, and that person had a multiple personality and he caught the person lying about him on record. And he played that to me because I, you know, and I've actually, you know, it cost him money. I, you know, paid a chunk of that back just because it's like, I gave you a recommendation. It was wrong. And you know, so that's in my inquiry, that's in my assessment and it's pretty well near the beginning. So John of God is the real deal in one personality. And he's very troubled in another. And the one personality is the positive one is present 95% of the time. So when I was running the numbers on him, I never found the multiple personality until about, like I test, because I believed what the people were saying, but I never found it until, and I never tested him for multiple personalities because I just, people weren't asking me about him. But one day I tested and uh, like, if I'm going to really look into somebody, I'll just run them through the assessment. It's all there. But I didn't run hands through the assessment. And when uh, people told me this stuff came out, it's like, I kept running the numbers. And one day, um, he tested very, very differently. And it was his other personality showing up. So that's a pretty big distinction. That's like, extra- extraordinary. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, you know, going back to the the Bush Jr. thing, one perspective that I considered at a certain point, because if, if he had been calibrating him at 400 or whatever it was, Mm. that would indicate that that person is on above the critical 200 and therefore has integrity and Mm. is therefore honest. And there were times in which Mr. Bush was, Mr. Bush was definitely not honest, you know, especially as pertaining to the 9-11 situation. But then I thought about it from the perspective again, that if his intention for being dishonest calibrated higher, then would it be possible for him to be purposefully dishonest and still calibrate at that level? Have you ever looked at the the nuances of you know someone's thought process or the uh, criteria by which they make decisions as being able to contain both of those at the same time while they are in integrity, but at the same time doing something non-integrous because the intention of that is higher. Question. 
and only a, a Hawkenite, as I call them, would ask <laughs> something like that because you know it's like a, it's a very specialized field, right? You start talking about these things if you're not if you're not into it, it just could sound. Well, I'm hopefully we didn't lose everyone at this point. <clears throat> yeah. I talk about David Hawkins so much on my podcast that I'm hoping I would have piqued people's curiosity into uh, into his work. I, I want to just run a couple more things by you. And then I, I do want to give a bit of a teaser into the FLFE stuff. Mm-hmm. We do another episode tomorrow, which will air a week after this. But there is kind of a purpose to bringing all this together other than just wow, we're curious about the nature of the universe. Um, You've been able to do something with it that's really fantastic and I want to cover that. But I can't resist just while we're here. um, Have you, and I know the answer to this because I I got an email about Mm -hmm. it, it according to what you feel is the highest good, but does the current president of the United States calibrate over the critical level of 200 um, of integrity? Yeah. So let's talk about this. So when you're analyzing, when you're calibrating people and you're learning to do assessments, there's a bunch of things you need to test for. So one is the number of times they switch polarity per day. What does that mean? You mentioned that switch polarity earlier. Can you define that? So switching polarity is different than a multiple personality disorder. Although people that switch polarity a lot, that can be an indication of multiple personality disorder. And, um, so I have to be careful here because I'm making a claim that I can test that. There's probably some psychologists out there that would, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I don't have the, I don't have the, the professional credentials in some ways to, uh, to make that claim. And I'm accurate enough as a kinesiologist and I've had enough experiences with it that I, I certainly have evidence anecdotally and amongst other people that it's accurate. So I'm just aware that I'm probably stepping up to a line that I don't know how to handle if someone was to call me to ask me about it. So I don't know where to go with that in this moment. When you're testing people, you want to test the number of times they switch polarity a day. So when you switch polarity, you go below 200. So let's say you're over what you're over, say you're 400, and you lose your temper or switch polarity like five times a day. And let's say you spend 3% of your time in a negative state during the day. So then you can calibrate when that happens, what point in the day that happens. Because if a person will typically lose their temper at work or their switch polarity at work and they stay 3% of the time in the negative state, they can be, they can be too moody to really have a, a very responsible position. Right. So when you're looking at employees, it's very, very important. The other thing is to um, people can be 400 in their overall life and they can be tragic in one part of their life. So, again, you have a, an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor who's, you know, they have years and years of training they have professional disciplines they have to adhere to to maintain their uh, their credentials or their designations. And they can be excellent accountants or lawyers or doctors, and they may have a real problem in their personal life. They could be a gambling addict. They could be an alcohol, you know, they could be an alcoholic drug addict. So you really want to test people in different parts of their life to understand that completely. Another thing uh, to consider is that some people appear much higher than they are when you're in their presence because of their heart chakra. If a person has a 
like a heart chakra that calibrates 125% out of 100, they kind of experience the life through their heart and they'll feel much higher than they are. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. Because I've been around people, it's like, you know, they test at 520, which is, you know, high, but they feel really, really high. And it's because the heart chakra is just fills the room. You know? hmm. Another thing, and this is probably more pertinent to where you were asking, is that we got to talk about emotional age. So when you're calibrating emotional age, there's two references that I use to, to there's two bodies of work that I cross-reference to get a complete understanding of emotional age. So you're doing kinesiology, you're using these definitions, either conscious or unconscious. And when you're using kinesiology to measure people and you're trying to understand a concept, you have to take bodies of work and take bits and pieces of bodies of work and align them or organize them in such a way that you can have a complete 1,000 of 1,000 understanding of that phenomena on Earth as it relates to humans. So this gets to be just, I mean, the amount of minutiae you have to go into to get some of these inquiries. And some of them I could never figure out how to ask the question because I don't have the specific knowledge to even make the inquiry good. Like I can usually make a decent inquiry, but some of them I can't because I just don't know what data to reference. So when you're so the reason I did so many assessments for so long is because I found the inquiries and I could just do the same ones over over again. Thank God, because the research is just like, you know, it's crazy making sometimes. You just at some point it's like, like I gotta stop, you know, and go have a life or something, you know. It's like so that's why um people say 7.2 million calibrations. Why would you even want to do that many? We don't necessarily want to, but if you want to figure something out, you just gotta dig and dig and dig. And dig, and, you know, and I think eventually, if you persisted long enough, you would get it. But life makes you pay a big price for some answers, huge price, and it's time and energy and persistence and a bit of insanity. You know? Hawkins' right hand man was named Nico. Nico, <laughs> and I K K O popped in my head as you were talking. Yeah, Nico. Yeah, of course. You discover about our president, uh, Donald J. Trump. So emotional age. Let's preface this by saying like, this is not about whether you like someone or support them or whatever. It's just like, what are the facts of the discovery in terms of calibration? I mean, I was never a fan of any of the Bushes, still am not, but I have to reconcile uh, if I'm going to go along with this model that there may have been some redeeming qualities to that man that I'm unaware of. So that could perhaps be the case with the leader of the free world right now. You know, it's such a polarizing climate that we have socially, politically in every way right now, but I'm not interested in who's right. I'm interested in what the truth is. Uh, and so that's why I was curious about this particular question. Well, I know I've kind of gone, went around the mulberry bush as they say around it, but um, so the, the emotional age of the, so there's two references for emotional age. It's going to give you the data, right? So if you're out there and you're doing kinesiology, you have a head start on this one. So the highest consciousness body of work on Emotional age that's easy to find is an institute in Europe called Bodynamics, B-O-D-Y-N-A-M-I-C-S. And their level of consciousness on emotional age is in the mid-900s, sorry, the mid-990s. There is an organization, there is an organization in Kelowna called the Center for Trauma Research, I think it's cftre.com. 
And theirs in 2018, theirs was really high. And their website changed, right? So the body of work, our body, so all bodies of work change unless they're in a book and they're static. Then you can test them. You're testing a body of work that's not static, it changes. So you have to test in different periods of time if you're looking to gather the data to make your inquiries properly. So if you reference these two bodies of work to make the inquiry about emotional age, my conclusion is that the average North American over 40 years old, right, because we live in North America, the average North American over 40 years old, of 40 to death, the average person's 15. <laughs> Uh, I do not doubt that. We're a bit stunted emotionally. I mean, the Europeans are a little more, uh, high, they're a little high in emotional age and a little lower in some areas than North Americans. We all have our gifts, right? Different cultures, different continents. So what you're, I think the trigger that I have when I see Donald Trump is that he appears to be emotionally immature. Yeah. You think? <laughs> well, actually, I, have, I may have other triggers, but that's the one that I'm aware of. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying he should or shouldn't be doing the job he's doing. He's uh, like his level of consciousness. If you look at the assessment, personal development, health, sexuality, income, ability to receive, uh, intent towards all creation, um, financial resource management, social relationships, lifestyle, those areas. In financial resource management, this man is very high. He understands uh, money and the exchange of value at a very, very high level. So from that point of view, the country's in good hands from a certain financially resourced perspective. And I think that's why people elected him partially. And, you know, he's, he's got to work on his emotional age. You know, if he wants to, I think have people trust him deeper than they do because a lot of people trust him and like him and respect him. His intent towards America is very high. American people. He, he loves American people. And you've uh, that to be true because a lot of his opponents and critics would, there's all sorts of theories that he's, you know, trying to get rich from being president, which seems to me not to make sense because he, mm-hmm. You know, he signed away his ability to to be in control of his assets, and I mean, he's losing money, if anything. But mm-hmm. whatever, people have different ideas. But I have to say, in a nonpartisan way, regardless of his personality and some of the ways he expresses himself, which are very negative and toxic, uh, I have always had the sense in my heart that he does actually want to see the country be successful and. Mm-hmm including all citizens of the country. And, you know, I'm also someone who distrusts the media immensely. Um, yes. A lot of people go for their source of information and to form a point of view. And you're going to believe and see the world in whatever way the TV tells you to, in many cases, unfortunately. And I'm sure I was that way for a time in my life as well. Uh, but I have always sensed that. Like, as, as much as he lacks decorum... And, you know, I can see what people's grievances are with the way that he operates in the world, et cetera. But I have always felt that from the moment he started running, I thought this guy actually, you know, whether or not he can do it or not, Mm -hmm. we'll see. But I really think he does not hate the country. And many of the politicians that we see now, I truly believe they hate America. They hate Western and they have a desire to destroy it for whatever reason. 
personal gain, just ideology, etc. Um, so, okay, so intent toward uh, America uh, over two hundred, meaning over the critical. Well, it's over five hundred. Oh wow, wow. Yeah, emotional. Now, I, I'm not saying he's. Uh, I'm not. You know, it's not. I, I don't go down the political roads, and I don't really get down conspiratorial roads. Yeah. There's more. There's more. There's more than enough people that know more about the deep state and other parts of the world than I do. And there's enough people talking about it out there. I think I can contribute something in a very specialized kind of numerically oriented kinesiology point of view. And that's where I think I can contribute to the world. I, I don't think I can serve in those ways that very well. Well, it's it's interesting in looking back, and I, I didn't really understand what he was talking about when Hawkins would often refer to uh, uh, radical leftism, to Marxism, relativism, and relativism, um, socialism, communism, all, yeah. communism, all of these failed ideologies that have proven themselves over and over and over again to produce death and suffering. And I was much less politically savvy as I am now. And I wouldn't say I'm incredibly savvy now, but I have a, you know, I'm almost 50. I have a little bit more of a geopolitical understanding, uh, but I didn't really know what he was talking about. And he came off as such kind of a crusty conservative. And at that time I would have considered myself really liberal hippie kind of basically, Mm. Um, you know, which is why I had that point of contention with Bush. I'm like, how is this possible that I'm having cognitive dissonance here? But Dude, watching the unfolding of the social unrest and the infiltration of Marxist ideology, cultural Marxism, et cetera, into the universities, which he also calibrated. Oh, yeah. The universities have plummeted, man. Some of them have just plummeted. Yeah. And so now I listened to it and I'm like, oh, my God, Hawkins was a prophet, man, because he was predicting the outcome. It's not that he was a prophet. He's just like, you know, David Icke and a number of other people that it's not that they're prophetic. It's just that these ideologies and paths that we take politically and socially have a very predictable outcome. And that is death and suffering. And they've always been that way and always will be because those ideologies in and of themselves calibrate low on the scale of consciousness, whether you're using Hawkins scale or not. Marxism is a a road to suffering. And so it's really interesting to look at Hawkins' work now and see, oh, damn, he was right. This is the outcome when you educate the young according to untruths and you use the media to perpetuate untruth. This is the societal collapse that we're kind of in in, in the beginning stages of experiencing now. And I'm mm-hmm. hopeful that somehow we'll have a positive outcome. But have you observed that kind of the premonition that he seemed to have in, in uh, these undermining ideologies that we've seen throughout history? Becoming more and more self-evident that when you teach non-integrous ideologies and they're spread throughout our education system, and you have generations of people that are heavily influenced by that, that the outcome is going to be tragic. In some ways, it probably already is. You know, we've all believed things in the past that are not true. I think every, that's true for everybody, as far as I know. I know I have, you know, and I paid a price for trying to unwind those. I'm, I'm still probably unwinding some of them. <laughs> right? We pay a price. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's shocking. I mean, I haven't really focused on politics. I've 
really, for, you know, most of my life has been about, been about trying to raise my consciousness. And as I'm uh, getting a little older, I'm a little north of 50, just turned 55. So politics has a big influence on the world. And to pretend that it doesn't is a bit naive. But, you know, how do you have a relationship with politics and the underpinnings of the belief systems that run it and be at peace? You know, that's that's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it seems that the more negative the, the belief systems are and they create these movements that there's just bigger extremes and the extremes affect us more as individuals. That's the best as I can tell. It's something that I'm kind of stepping into because there's parts of my life where I'm not, you know, I'm just not struggling the same way I used to, right? I mean, my life is pretty good. So I have a little more time to look into these things. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting and um, disturbing subject. I mean, we had somebody go through our town. It's a little town, 10,000 people, and they went through and spray-painted Black Lives Matter everywhere. You know, you're costing, it's costing people tens of thousands of dollars in property damage at a time when some businesses aren't, you know, 20 30% of businesses aren't going to make it, including our office of sprayed. You know, we were just one of 33 places in town. So when it affects you personally, you know, just kind of get your attention more. I, start, I try to stay away from the media. Most of it's so negative. It's like, God, it's hard to watch. Have you done a calibration on uh, the American mainstream media as a whole by chance? Do you, you ever... I, haven't, I haven't. I haven't really dug deep into that. You know, I spend most of my time focused on FLFE. You know, we're like we've assembled this group of technologies to raise a level of consciousness of the planet. And that's what I focus on because that's <laughs> you're focused on that. You know, I mean, you could say you're trying. You're you're you have this belief that you know, if it's, according to our testing, it might be negative, but you have this belief and you think this should be spread throughout the world because it will help to raise the consciousness. So you can rationalize that. But spending a lot of time in the media, it's just a slippery slope. Yeah. You really got to pick and choose carefully and limit your time. Yeah. This is a, it's, it's a challenge for me because there's this morbid curiosity. I call it, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, there's this morbid curiosity. I want to look on Twitter and look at the political analysts and pundits and see who's fighting and what new development and what city is on fire now. And yeah, what EMF like 5G tower went up at what high school and gave the kids cancer. And it's, it's like, it's really difficult for me to be on the precipice of awareness versus falling into fear. And, and like what you said, I would interpret that as really focusing on what you want, which is harmony, peace, love, understanding in the world versus focusing on what you don't want. But at the same time, I feel it's incumbent upon me to stay aware of the things that are unraveling and unfolding that I don't want so that I am prepared for them. So it's kind of a, a dichotomy there. Um, on, on that note, uh, in terms of what's happening in the world right now, have you by chance, you know, and maybe you haven't because you just said, hey, I'm just trying to do my FLFE work and, you know, make the world more uplifted. But have you tested the COVID-19 theory or narrative or response by the government? Have you done any work around the quote unquote pandemic? And its validity or anything like that? Yeah, when it first came out, I did a ton of research on it because I really wanted to find find a way to to be at you know, to be at peace with it, right? Whatever is going to happen. 
I mean, it's pretty, I think the evidence is there that there's obviously a, there's a, there is something called COVID-19. There's no doubt about that. It was uh, artificially created. There's people who've done research on that and proven it in painstaking detail. And, you know, humans are, there's people right now trying to do, well, not trying to do, they're doing research on biological weapons in case they need to use them against some other country in the future. I mean, humanity has some dark stuff in it. We, we, you know, we, we got some shadow work to do. <laughs> and um, that's gone on as probably as long as biological warfare has, has happened and will, and will go on until we grow above it. You know, so the pandemic is partially karmic because we've did, with the way we treated each other. I mean, if you continue to spend all this money creating biological weapons, guess what's going to happen one day? You know, it's going to get released. So I don't know how to quite answer this, but I think, you know, the question I have is um, I'll have a lot of questions about it is what's the cost that we should pay as a society to try to protect certain groups of people? And, and I don't know how you put a cost on the price of life. I, I don't know. But what is the cost we should be paying as a society to, to manage the impact of this? Like we're paying a very, very heavy price and you know, future generations will. I mean, we're going so deep into debt. I don't know what the answer is. I, I think our, um, our response as a society is slightly exaggerated in terms of, the, of what's actually happening. I mean, back in, when SARS was around, I heard 20% of people might die in the States. That was from Obama's lips. I don't know what other leaders, other leaders were saying, and look at what happened with it, right? So if you check the level of consciousness of the computerized predictive models about what will happen, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing it's under 200. <laughs> 95, that would be my guess. 20. So, well, yeah, yeah. So when you use a non-integrous predictive model, guess what happens? Right. You get a non-integrous outcome and response and reaction. Yeah. I mean, I, Huge. I have my perception of what's going on and I've talked about it freely on the show. And I think the whole thing is just an insane manipulation and power grab. Uh, but you know, that doesn't change the way that I'm going to live my life. My goal is still the same as yours is, is to raise consciousness. And sometimes that includes like, Hey, there's also some bad news here. There are people that are vibrating at a lower frequency that are still living within their animal lower base nature of rapacious greed that don't care about hurting other people if they're to gain. And that's just the, that's the earth school, uh, contrast right? It's mm. as Doc used to teach. It's, you know, people say, well, God, why does it have to be evil? Why can't it just be, we all sit around and sing Kumbaya and be enlightened. Well, what would be the point of incarnating if you had no contrast, if there were no scale, if every living being was at a thousand, then why would we have to have the earth plane and bodies and all of the strife that we go through? It would be pointless. You know, it's like sending a postgraduate PhD to kindergarten. It's like, why would you ever go to kindergarten if you're already there? Yeah, if you, if you believe and you can remember that the purpose of this life is for maximum karmic opportunity, 
to clear the negative things you've done in other incarnations and raise your consciousness. That's a place that you can go back to, and at least I can, and find peace. It's like, okay, maximum karmic opportunity. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Me too. We're, we're maxing out right now. Me too. <laughs> and that's the beauty of having conversations like this. You know, it's like I get messages from people every single day, man. I got a beautiful one on Instagram mm. yesterday. I mean, I'm... I'm just a guy that just talks. I don't, I don't even, I'm not even aware that I'm having an impact because it's just me alone in my mm-hmm. ear and you on the other end. I don't, I don't have the uh, visceral experience of interacting with all the thousands of people that will hear this. But I got a message from someone saying, Oh, I, you know, every day Luke's story uplifts my life and has helped me so much. I've learned so much in just a few months. And I thought, Oh man, it just really, it just warmed my heart so much because I'm just, I'm just doing what I enjoy doing, which is talking to brilliant people like you. And uh, the fact that other people are having transformative experiences to whatever degree they are is just icing on the cake. Me, I'm just here to build karmic merit, undo negative shit that I've pulled when I was less enlightened in the past and keep it moving. And perhaps someday not have to come back here anymore. (laughs) Where we have the bin Ladens and the whatever, you know, yeah. like all the shit that I'm kind of wading through. Uh, there, there's one question before we close on the FLFE. And uh, that is, I never heard Doc talk about psychedelics or plant medicines or anything like that. And I might've missed it because it wasn't something at the time I was interested in at all. Uh, being a sober guy, it was just kind of not on the menu. I never talked about it. But a couple of years ago, I began to explore this world a bit and it's been extremely beneficial to me. And now I, I look at the earlier work of Ram Dass and mm-hmm. I see, ah, that's what these guys were up to. And it seems to lead folks to a certain level of understanding. And then mm-hmm. you kind of just got to get off the elevator and do the work. And I think because I was doing the work for so long before I got on the elevator, it's just been a huge um, gift in my life and in my awareness. Have you done any calibrations or research about the benefits of these plant medicines, shamanic traditions, et cetera? Yeah, a lot. Um, The use of plant medicines to raise your consciousness can be an integrous path. I don't know if it's the key, but an important point is doing the work with someone who has conscious control over over the experience. And that takes training and years of discipline. Taking acid or other psychedelics when you're a kid, you know, with your other friends, you don't have a lot of maturity, you know, you haven't been trained as a shaman. It's like that, that's, you know, it could not turn out well. So uh, as far as I can tell, the Shipibo tribe in the Amazon are the holders of the most powerful mother plant of of psychedelics which is ayahuasca so i've calibrated the level of consciousness of you know marijuana uh peyote you know lsd there's you know there's all these different drugs out there ecstasy and uh the ayahuasca is the highest consciousness one if it's administered by a trained you know loving high consciousness shaman and done in a safe container with multiple multiple people taking care of that container who've been trained 
in that. And like, and I'm talking about three or six months training. You don't run a ceremony unless you've done it for years and years. I mean, I did a bunch of research. I had a client of mine who was really into ayahuasca. And um, I did a, you know, I did a bunch of research on the shamans and the guy that he was working with was 584 on the Hawkins map. It's like, he spent 18 years working with the highest person on the planet at the time. It's like, yeah, you can trust this man. And he's got three or four people with him who've done lots of ceremonies and they have a safe container and that's a legitimate path. Wow. That's, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. The last uh, four ceremonies I did with ayahuasca were in Costa Rica with two, a couple actually really beautiful couple of the Shipibo tradition. Yeah. When they flew them up to lead this week long ceremony and Oh man, it's like the Hawkins music. You know, I, I looked up the Icaros that they would sing. Oh yeah, the spirit songs are great. Recordings of, I was like, that's 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 my guy, you know. And uh, and I actually found recordings of them, and it's just like, mm-hmm. oh my god, such a profound experience. And and you know, as you said, just they've been serving this medicine for twenty plus years, probably taking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's woven into the fabric of their culture, their being, and they chose the medicine path. I'm sure many people in their tribe went off and did other things, has a little, you know, donut stand or whatever, you know, their, Mm -hmm. their path was that. And man, I mean, you can tell it's a, it's a much different experience um, than you described as a kid when I would go to Grateful Dead shows and eat a bunch of acid and just freak out in a hockey arena or something, you know? So yeah, that's, that's cool. But it's, it's interesting to hear that you uh, discovered through calibrating that ayahuasca itself is sort of the, you know, the, the uh, highest level there. Cause that's also been my subjective experience in terms of transformation and mm-hmm. you know, just walking away a different person and a, a better person. Uh, nothing I've experienced has quite gone to that level, whether it be psilocybin or, you know, peyote or any of the other things. Yeah. Have you calibrated uh, magic mushrooms, by the way? I know I have, but, it seems that it's the person facilitating the ceremony that is the tipping point as long as it's integrous. Got it. And, you know, doing it on your own, it's like if you've had experience with it, maybe, I don't know, I haven't, I'm kind of a little bit naive about drugs. I haven't done a lot of drugs. Um, I drink, you know, I have some wine once in a while. I'm just not a big drug user. I, I, I knew somebody when I was young who was an addict and it affected me a lot. So I kind of got, like I'm really cautious around drugs as I've seen what it can do to people. And it's just, just, it's horrible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'm pretty cautious that way. And I was in Eastern based living uh, philosophy for 11 years and you couldn't drink or smoke or there's a bunch of things you couldn't do in that. And it was probably, a, you know, it was a, I was fairly young at the time. Like it was 18, 19 when I got into it. And, um, I'm not saying I've never drank too much. I did before I got into that organization and I, I've certainly have since, you know, so I think it's more about the person holding the container and multiple people holding a container with multiple people participating. That seems to be just from an economy point of view, of, you know, cause you have to pay someone, there's a, they're a professional, you got to pay them. And there's something about sharing it in a group experience that can be really helpful and beautiful as well. If you all go to the ceremony, there's a social cultural part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I don't want to seem like a too kind of like too much of a dissociated scientific analysis of it, but I've just seen the effect of drugs that, you know, 
like addiction could have on people. And I'm just, it's really about the conscious control of the container. Yeah. As I mean, you have, if you have a highly, you know, there's other people besides the shit people that have their good shamans. There's people from, you know, North America that have gone back and forth and they've earned the right to do it and hope they, they can do a great job. And there's other, you know, there's certain people that do peyote that may do it better than most people that do uh, ayahuasca. Right. If you're talking about the mother plant, like marijuana is very, you know, it's illegal now in many places. And it was a very, very powerful medicinal drug, uh, substance, and it still is. But because it's been involved in so many criminal activities for so long, there's an energetic association it has with crime. That, you know, if you have really conscious growers, perhaps, and really conscious people who facilitate the process, it might be a great experience. But depending on where you buy it and if, how you, you know, use it, it just doesn't have the Shipibo shamanic traditions of hundreds of years and the Icaros and the whole container and the whole field around that, that ayahuasca does. So I just want to add some more context to that. Uh, that's, that's interesting. You know, it's yeah. funny. I just use cannabis a lot as a kid and mm. uh, it, you know, it was, it was just the medicine that I needed. I'm so grateful, but it did definitely pave the way into really deep addiction as you and I talked a little bit about the other day. But you know, it's interesting. I've always loved the smell of it, but as of late, if I smell kind of a waft of it, it has a kind of low vibration. Like there were a couple of days ago, I was somewhere and I was, I was laying down kind of meditating and I smelled weed and it kind of, it brought a, a lower vibration to the experience that I was having. And I would have preferred to not smell it, even though I like the smell of it, just like I would a nice incense or something. I don't think it's an unpleasant smell, but it did occur to me like, yeah, that's kind of a low vibe smell. It's weird. I can't explain it. It's a very, um, very strange thing. Whereas if I smell, you know, sage or Palo Santo or some of the sacred plants that are used in, in shamanic rituals and ceremony, it's very uplifting. And it's just a very similar kind of smell, you know, same, yeah. same kind of uh, potency, et cetera. It's just a little more skunky. And I thought that's interesting. You know, I think I've move to a place where that smell just isn't in, it's not in vibrational uh, resonance with me. And perhaps that's why, because it's been adulterated by, you know, a century of associative crime and issues with legality. The vibration of that plant might in fact be uh, compromised as a result. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I mean, it might've been the people who grew that particular weed or the people who were smoking or what they were thinking, you know, that you might've picked up some energetic, because they have a vaporized uh, substance like that, it carries the energetic signature a little stronger, right? So we'd have to dig into that and geek out on it. But uh, I can see we'll have to do like six more podcasts. <laughs> what is the calibration of the United States as of late? Have you tested it lately? Yeah, it's gone down a little bit. Um, California right now, because of the fires, is the is the lowest consciousness state in the country. Typically, it's not. Doesn't it's that? Not- me well it's just the fires like california is at 100 so it's in fear oh man usually it's in the 400s you know uh i think the states is around 300 right now uh pre-covid it was 420 you know 420 ish last fall you know canada's any put where there's like we have extreme smoke up here like it's armageddon ish like yesterday there was maybe 800 feet of visibility Wow. Yeah. Like it's like, 
it's all we have our own fires here, but not one one hundredth of what's in the states, and it's just all blowing up the way the winds are blowing. And you know, it's wow. I, I've seen it once before when we had a fire localized. I couldn't see across the river. That's kind of one of the things you know when you live close to a river and you can't look across it. You can see, you know, that's how you judge your particulate uh, uh, in the air. But it's yeah, it's what are nasty. a couple uh, generally highest calibrating locations in North America or the world at large? Are there ones that typically resonate really high, like in the Himalayas or places that one might think are holy pilgrimage sites, et cetera? Are any of those valid and kind of maintain that over time? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, uh, you know, the cathedrals, the classic ones in Hawkins books are really high. You know, people talk about Stonehenge and vortexes in Sedona. Uh, Sedona's dropped a lot in the last 10 or 15 years. It's it's so beautiful there. It really helps your spirit. Uh, but I think there's been a cultural change. Um, I don't know. Do you know uh, Regina Meredith? Have you no. met her? No. She's a pretty big uh, influencer on, uh, she's a, well, she's a producer, uh, not a producer. She's a host on Gaia. Oh, cool. And she, yeah, she produces her own, um, she has her own YouTube channel and produces her own shows. So she lived in, in, in Sedona for decades and moved back and forth. And she talked about the change in Sedona. I'm not saying it's not a great place to live. It's just, it's changed. I mean, if I was going to live in the States, it'd be one of the places on my list to check out just because of how beautiful it is. And, and I know some people there. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly close to moving there. We're going to go, we're going to go stay there in November to escape the election fallout. And I think this episode will probably have come out after that trip. So people will have update, but I was just trying to find somewhere where it didn't snow a lot. That was beautiful. That didn't have 5g that had, you know, a state where the government response to COVID was less totalitarian, which typically and ironically ends up being the Republican governor uh, controlled States, which is strange. I never would have thought I'd said that, but that's the way it is. Um, and so Sedona, you know, and also its proximity because it's close to an airport, it's close to Utah, Colorado, like it's a hub where you can drive to other beautiful places. And so for that reason, it seemed to be, and fairly decent state taxes. I mean, it's no Texas or Florida, but it's 4.5 or 4.7% or something, much less than California. But uh, I was, when um, I got the report from you that it was much higher and it had fallen, I was like, no. <laughs> it was 350 or something I'm like cool i'll turn on flfe on my house like i have here and i'll make sure that my immediate uh, property lines are, are taken care of which brings me to and again those listening we're going to do an entire show on this tomorrow where we don't really talk about much of the stuff we did today and talk about this but give us like a elevator closing pitch on what flfe focus life force energy is this is a service i recently signed up for I was happy to pay the monthly 300 something dollars or whatever, just because I believe in the work and the website and listen to a bunch of your podcasts. And the general vibe in my home is just beautiful as a result. And I'm 100% sold. Absolutely. And uh, I know you're not a big salesy kind of guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is because that's not why you're in it. It's so obvious because you could charge a lot more, frankly. <laughs> but um, 
<laughs> and you know, yeah, I know you do all this Seva work, and you know, a lot of the stuff you do is free anyway, and free trials and all this stuff. But it's just been, um, it's been a really great thing for me to experience, especially as someone who's extremely sensitive to EMF. Uh, one of the features of the FLFE service is EMF mitigation, and anything that says that gets my attention. And um, you know, before this interview and before every interview I do, I always activate my thirty-minute daily. Oh, yeah. And it's just, I don't even, I used to put a note on my desk to do it. And now it's just like, it's part of turning on Zoom. I open Zoom and I'm like, FLFE site, boom, log in, activate the boost. And I activate the boost at my mom's house because I'm, I'm in the portal. And, um, and it always makes for like a really lighthearted, fun interview. It's amazing. So tell us a bit about what FLFE is so that I can encourage people to listen to the follow-up interview with you and your partner, Jeffrey. Sure. So just one thing you said, the, you said the monthly was $100 a month. It's actually the monthly is about $35 a month. The annual is, if you prepay, it's three, 350-ish or something like that. And to say, yeah, I've yes. for the whole year, because I'm just, I trust that this thing works. So yes, thank yeah. you for the distinction. Because then people would be like, wait, he just said he's not in it for the money. $300 a month. <laughs> Shit, I could buy a car. Yeah. Yeah. So FLSE really came out of... Um, you know, once I got good at kinesiology, it's like, okay, where do I, where do I go with it? And, and I've developed a bunch of, int- bunch of intellectual property and, and um, you know, hopefully someday I'll be able to share more of that. People ask me, well, you know, can I take a course from you on kinesiology? And I haven't got it's in the highest and best interest to teach everything I know. And I think that's because the power that it would take to steward that, I just don't have it yet. So we're trying to form a group of people that can hold that container. I do have permission to, uh, or it's in the highest and best for me to share more of what I do know. And I just haven't got around to doing that. I've certainly written a lot of courses and taught a couple on kinesiology, some of them, you know, 12 weeks long, significant ones. It's not like I'm trying to keep it secret. If you're going to live by the arm, you got to live by the arm, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have a, the arm, you know, the testing, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so it's not like it's some great big secret and I don't want to share it with people. And, you know, anybody can, if I can figure it out, any reasonably intelligent person can figure it out. You just, you got to put in the time. And um, even some really integrous people who are higher than you and I, Luke, they just can't be good testers. So there's just, sometimes there's a karmic thing in the way. So this is a long-winded kind of approach, but. Um, if you get really good at kinesiology, it doesn't mean you'll get accurate on everything because if you have a personal bias against something, you won't be able to get good data. So the benefit of doing testing in a group, which we have in FLFE now, is that each one of you can test the other's percentage of freedom on the subject, right? Which is something else in the protocols is to test the freedom you have to test the issue. So when I get really good at kinesiology, I started looking at, okay, what do, I, what do I do with this? You know, I was making a good living in my coaching practice. And I thought I could publish the intellectual property because, you know, I, I spent a lot of time developing it. And, um, but, you know, I'm just like everybody else. I'm just kind of in my own way to a degree. And I probably still am. And I just prayed about, you know, what would you have me do, Lord? What's your will for me? And um, kept praying and praying and praying. and. Uh, 
I got told to, you know, use my kinesiology skills to uh, to assemble kind of a unique combination of all the nonlinear technologies that are out there that have emerged and are continuing to emerge that can help many more people than I can ever help as an individual. And even if I could teach some of the kinesiology stuff, it's there. Doc Hawkins has created a body of work that if you put the time in, you can figure it out. No one can stop you if you're a good tester, you know, if, you're, if your body is able to test. So the, the answer for me was to assemble these, this unique or to assemble a unique set of uh, inventions some of which I knew about and some of which helped me personally in, a, in an extraordinary way and try to help as many people as, as we can. And um, that kind of came in conjunction with Jeff and I doing service work was one piece of technology. When I was in this conversation with my, myself and the divine, we were doing service work with the original FLFE tech, you know, the technology just before 2012, trying to raise the level of consciousness of the planet because there was a, a big question in the space of humanity of what's going to happen after 2012. After 2012, and a lot of people don't know that there was several solar flares around that time that passed between the Earth and the Moon, which isn't a lot of space in the in the galaxy. That if they had hit the Earth in succession because they were so powerful we would likely wouldn't be having this conversation wow yeah david adair is the guy to talk to look up on that he really gets into the details of it but so the minds might have been right in one way it was a it was a, a fork in the road so so that was the answer that i got was to try to put you know uh, to do this work with jeff jeff's um He's a very understated guy and you meet him and, and, but he's got a, he was a client, became a friend and he was, you know, practicing business as a spiritual path to, um, through raising the level of consciousness of his company by helping the culture to create a really healthy culture. So he owns a couple of businesses. They're kind of institutional businesses. Some of them have been around since the early 1800s, multi-generational, solid as, he's as solid as man as you can find, I think, in many ways. He's, he's a great man. So that was the answer that I got was to do this with Jeff and see how many people we can help and see how much good we can do. And uh, we only had so many resources personally. So to serve in a bigger way, we had to turn into a business or get an angel investor or a donor to give us enough money. That's basically what it came down to. So you you discovered essentially a physical technology like a frequency rife mm. a coil you know mad scientist back to the future laboratory kind of thing and then eventually through your research and use of that determined that it could be used non-locally and that the frequencies and the beneficial harmonics emanating from that machine could be transmitted uh interdimensionally or i guess you could say in a quantum level ignoring space and time and just be boink assigned to a physical address to an object a person phone etc and that's the basis of the flfe service so the technology emanates an energy field or a field of consciousness that can be assigned to different things and when someone signs up as i have 
Uh, it's assigned to my address here. I also have the uh, business service on Luke Story Inc. I have it on my phone. I have it on uh, my partner Allison's phone. Which afterward, after I did that, she said, "You know, it's cool, but maybe ask my permission before you put some <laughs> some frequencies." Yes. But uh, you know, what are you going to do? <clears throat> we we live through it. But um, so essentially, what's happening is is that device or, or however many devices you have can be assigned to someone's service. And then you've discovered along the way that EMF mitigation, et cetera, these other kind of added benefits that you discovered along the way can also be attributed to that particular location or that person's unique identifier as being their cell number or their tax ID number for their business, et cetera. And so essentially in the quantum space of pre-particle in the wave, you're sending information somewhere that harmonizes the field where someone exists. Technology is part of God too. Not separate. Right. We activate a high consciousness field around a unique identifier. And we're able to put requests to divinity in that field, such as the, the programs we talked about earlier. You've, you've summed it up pretty well, yeah. And so this works for people. I, I think most of my audience are pretty warm to energetics. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I have channelers on the show and all kinds of things like that. I, I think I've probably lost a lot of our strictly left brain listeners <laughs> a couple of years back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To be, you know, a bit out there. But I, you know, I always try to ring in some, you know, hard science for, for those folks too. But uh, the way then one would um, integrate this would be to sign up for the 15, is it a 15 day free trial where they, we have a, we have a two week free trial. You don't have to enter your credit card. We can't bill you unless you come back and sign up. There's no negative billing where people take your credit card. If you don't cancel, just didn't test out as being the best way. You know, it's kind of a non-integrous model. Right. You get people to sign up and they forget to not to not sign. It may not be non-integrous, but it wasn't wasn't right for us. Right. So it's kind of a no loss. You just get to try it for a couple of weeks. Cool. Well, as I said, I've you know, I'm a big fan of it. So I encourage people to check out the free trial. You've got nothing to lose. I didn't even do that. As I said, I just thought Hawkins EMF, I'm in. <laughs> it rings as true. I didn't have to do muscle testing. I just thought, I don't know, this makes too much sense. It's also, I think, knowing, and we talked about this the other day. I've never met someone who's a true student of Dr. Hawkins' work that is not integrous, that's a rotten person. I mean, I'm mm. sure they exist, just like there's a lot of Christians that suck and Muslims and whatever. Mm. I don't know. I've never met anyone I didn't vibe with that was deep into Hawkins' work. So when I saw that both of you were, I thought there's no way these guys are going to scam me because they understand the karmic repercussions from studying Doc's work. If you do something knowingly out of integrity, there's going to be a price to pay. So I thought, all right, fine. I'll pay my 300 bucks or whatever it was for the year and, and be done with it. And I'm, I'm incredibly glad that I did. Now it's a matter for me. I'm just like thinking of now all the different friends that I have that either, I think most of my friends would believe in it, but they might not believe in it enough to throw down a yearly subscription or monthly subscription. So now I'm trying to find a way to just buy it for a few friends. I have a friend that has cancer right now and he's totally into Hawkins work, but he doesn't have any money because of the medical expenses. So I'm like, that's where I'm going with it is like, cool, I'm taking care of now. Who can I actually gift this to in my 
in my life that's not in a position to be able to do it for themselves. And there's a few people because it's just been, it's been awesome, man. I'm so stoked to meet you and discover again to, you know, I think I told you I found your site and I connected EMF and Hawkins, bookmarked it, and then probably a year at least went by. And it just, you know, there's so much noise life with all the shit that I discover, I lost touch with it. Uh, and then when I found it again through a couple different sources, I thought, ah, it came back for a reason. I'm just super excited to get to chat with you. So thank you so much for coming on today. I'm going to see you again tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, hopefully tomorrow. It's not two hours and 22 minutes for your sake, but thank you for your, um, you know, your kind generosity with your time and experience and wisdom today. In closing, I've got a question for you. I'm going to ask you today, and then I don't have to ask you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And one answer might be obvious. Uh, who are three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life and or your work that you might recommend our audience goes to check out? Carolyn uh, said you were probably going to ask me this question, so I did prepare for this one. <laughs> uh, Person ever. I always, I always get everyone off guard. Yeah. Um, well, in terms of teachers, that's a different question. She said you might ask who are the three most influential people in your life. So is it just teachers or? Hey, you know, I, my hmm. question was always, and I don't always get this type of answer because someone will say, oh, is my dad, which is fine. Um, it's about like, okay, so we've learned a lot from you today about so many different things. Who are three people or, or teachings in general that you might recommend our listeners go study to be able to gain some of the knowledge that you've gained in life? Okay, well, I'll answer it the same way I was thinking about. So the first teaching that I'll talk about is the power of commitment. And that's what I learned from my dad. He never missed a day's work in 25 years. When he had, you know, us... Like his commitment to us was so extraordinary in spite of, you know, his humanness, like we all have. He was absolutely committed to providing and having us be physically taken care of. And I missed a lot of days work in the last 25 years because I just get, I just work too much and get exhausted, take time off. But he, he would have to kill that man to stop him from going to work. It was, it was extraordinary to be in it. Like, you know, I started to really appreciate it as I got older because I was went through that phase where I was kind of angry at the world. And why would God create a world like this for so much suffering? You know, I was probably an atheist for years. And uh, until I got the karmic opportunity piece, I think that lingered in me. Like, why is there so much suffering? So my dad would be the first one that came to mind. And seconds, yeah, it's Doc Hawkins. To have someone that calibrated that level of consciousness that has hundreds of hours of DVDs and material out there, that's just like unprecedented in history. I mean, there's been other people that have been higher for longer periods of time, but to have access to someone that calibrated that high, that discovered this nonlinear, unique phenomenon, even if he didn't, just who he was, to be exposed to that, like, we're lucky. You just go on YouTube and watch stuff. It's like, wow. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, when you when you're a when you live with somebody, when you're a partner with them, to have somebody be willing to look at what's in the highest and best interest of all with you. And whether you do that with kinesiology or you however you do that, you know. But to have someone in your life that you live with that is willing to just keep going back to that as the default and 
and to have a way to find out or determine between the two of you what's in the highest and best interest of all and just say, okay, that's what it is. That's what we're going to try to do. You know, and it's imperfect and it's messy. And sometimes you need to ask the question differently and it's humbling because you really didn't think to ask it that way or to, you missed a piece of the context, you know, context is everything when you're forming the inquiry. Like forming the inquiry is key, like just key. You miss a piece of context, you're not going to have the same outcome. It's just, there's a really, there's a real rigor to forming an inquiry. To have someone to share my life with that is willing to go there all the time, man, I just, you know, I got to say Sherilyn's great like that. <laughs> and so is Jeff. God, you know, like I got the, a couple of people in the life and we got like our, our general manager, Ashutosh. We got a team of people, Evie, she's, you know, like these people, they just want to know what's in the age, the highest and best interest of all and try to do it. It's like, wow. You're blessed. <laughs> I feel you, man. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel your gratitude. I appreciate it. I'm grateful for your gratitude, Clayton. So there you go, my friend. Well, tell us where we can find uh, your website, et cetera, as we close out the episode. Yeah, it's uh, flfe.net. We also own flfe.com. It goes to .net because that's what we had first. And Yeah, not to, I'm not really a salesy person, so it's a it's always a bit of a a question about what's an agent be in this situation. But I encourage you to, or, you know, people to do the free trial and see what their experience is. And uh, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't mean it, you did anything wrong. It doesn't not everything works for everybody. So we just want you to trust yourself, and uh, you know, it's our gift to you. Um, to humanity to, to do to do this and some good things will happen in the two weeks we believe even if you don't subscribe some really beneficial things to your body and uh, your environment 90 percent of the of the energy historically that the company has the, that the technology creates we do service work with it so we're doing a lot right now we just did a power upgrade a couple months ago because of COVID, because we wanted to do more service work, we did a 40,000 times power upgrade. Enormous. We're just giving it all away because the world needs it. So, you know, it is a business, but it is, and it is business as a spiritual path. And uh, we're a bunch of imperfect humans running the company, but, you know, service is good. It's, it's integrous. Yeah. 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 Well, you guys are doing a great job and I'm, I'm, extremely grateful that you uh have had the commitment to the teachings and to further that and to share it with us here today and uh with that i'll bid you farewell man and let you off the hook and we'll be back here tomorrow to have another conversation and then at least you'll have your your other half there so he can yeah fill some of the the gaps there but i look forward to having more of a deep dive into the flfe.net technology and uh and get both your perspectives because i think it's just something that's so useful and and much more accessible to people than a lot of the interventions that are where you have to have the technology in your house in order to mm-hmm. harmonize the field. They can get expensive and that's a gripe yeah. that have. And like, I get it. They, they are. So 
um, I think this is really, really useful. So thanks so much for coming on the show and your generosity of time. I had a really good time hanging out with you. Uh, good spending time with you. It's always great going going deep on Hopkins' work. And there's way more, Luke. We can, we can go way deeper, man. All right. We're just, we're just scratching the surface. I can't wait, man. Yeah, yeah. I'll see you on the next one. Okay. Well, if that conversation didn't get you thinking, folks, I don't know what will. Pretty incredible stuff, right? I was so grateful to have the opportunity to sit down with Clayton as I have on a few occasions since this recording and learn all about how he's applied the work of Dr. David R. Hawkins. I highly recommend, obviously, that you check out some of the work of Hawkins. A really good starting point would probably be the book Letting Go. Uh, The other one, of course, is Power Versus Force. If you want to get a bit deeper, the eye of the eye, reality versus subjectivity, the list goes on and on. But uh, definitely one of my all-time favorite teachers. And dare I say, uh, someone who made what is perhaps the most important discovery of all time. And that is that each and every human being, well, at least most of us, those of us that calibrate over 200 at the level of integrity, most people and their nervous system have the ability to validate truth or falsehood locally and non-locally throughout all time and space. I mean, it's too big to even get your head around, uh, which is why I wanted to have this conversation with Clayton and uh, why I'm going to be having a further conversation about this technology and about how they've applied it to raising the calibration of any location using FLFE. So next week's episode is called Turn Your Home Into a Temple with Focus Life Force Energy featuring again, Clayton, and now his partner, Jeffrey. So make sure you subscribe to the show and definitely check out next week's episode. And if you're curious about FLFE, the Focus Life Force Energy, as I talked about in the intro, I've got it on my location here in Sedona, where I'm recording. I have it on my mom's house. I have it at my house in LA. Uh, I've got it on my phone. I put the service on my business. Uh, I'm a firm believer And I think you can tell by the level of integrity of our guest, Clayton, that this is uh, no joke. As crazy as it might sound, that you can actually focus (laughs) energy on a location remotely and raise the consciousness level of that location. I know it sounds nuts, but uh, it's actually true. If you want to check it out, you can get a 15-day free trial. You don't even have to put your credit card or anything. You just sign up, put your address in, turn on the service, see how you feel. If you don't feel anything, which I doubt... And then you just turn it off. Otherwise, you can get a yearly or monthly subscription. It's very affordable and, in my opinion, totally worth it. So if you want to check out FLFE, go to flfe.net slash Luke and activate your free trial. And if you want to learn even more about it, as I said, next week, we go into the actual technology and what makes FLFE, or as some people call it, fluffy work. It's pretty trippy stuff. I'm really excited to share that one with you. All right, folks, I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it to the end of the show and you still hear my voice, you made it through the the ad reads. I mean, that's like got to be the most boring part of the show. So if you're still here, I want to let you know that I love you and I support you. And uh, I'm sending my prayers and blessings to you right through your ears right now. And I thank you so much for supporting the work I'm doing and for giving people like Clayton Stedman a voice in the world and sharing his commitment to truth and Uh, spiritual advancement. And so, uh, yeah, I'll be back next week for a show all about focused life force energy, which is truly incredible. I can't wait to share it with you. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss next week's episode 316 or any episodes to follow. God bless. God bless.